I know what's been troubling you. Listen to me. Only through me can you achieve a power greater than any Jedi. I can feel your anger. It makes you stronger. Rated PG-13. Hey everyone, this is Inside the Sequel, the podcast where we talk about sequel films that do not get enough love or attention that they deserve. Today, we are talking about the 2005 finale of the prequel trilogy. We are talking about Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith. And I'm your host as always, Chris. And as you know, we're wrapping up our no, our Star Wars Ember uh, series, which I'm very proud of how, it's been ter- how it turned out this year and this how it's been going on. I feel like Star Wars... Late, I don't know if it's the algorithms or Elon Musk listens to the podcast, but it seems like on my Twitter feeds lately and on YouTube, I've been getting a lot of Star Wars recommendation stuff, and I, I'm just really about it because when I was editing these things, I like to check out what other people say about Star Wars and their opinions, and a lot of times I don't care for them because they're mostly negative, but lately I've been seeing a lot of great positivity positivity to the prequels, and I'm so glad we had a chance to uh, revisit them and watch them because they've just been a blast and a joy. Um, and of course, to, to uh, join me in wrapping up this trilogy, uh, I have the host of Cobwebs. I have Daniel himself. Uh, Daniel, is it not true that you were the chosen one? Were you not the one who was supposed to bring balance to the force? Hello there. Uh, no, it is not true. Definitely not chosen. Sometimes I try to, you know, force myself in there into that balancing force role. Never quite works out. So I just kind of hang back now. Let those uh, chosen ones do their thing. Smart, smart. You know, I will say though, uh, I want to. I think you should be thanking me for having you on my podcast and saving your skin for the tenth time. <laughs> I do, <laughs> I do. Normally, I'm not brave enough for podcasting, but I'll make an exception <laughs> for you. Right. Also, Daniel, I'm excited because I went out and gr- tried to grab a nice drink because, as everyone knows, um, I'm a temporary alcoholic when I podcast, and uh, I went to get the closest i closest alcoholic beverage that reminded me of Revenge of the Sith, and I'm drinking this local brewery um that's called the lava run and it looks just like mustafar oh that 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 absolutely does i'm drinking uh it's it's known as water and (laughs) there's a lot of it on naboo so (laughs) i'm gonna go with that oh goodness well i mean how you doing man how are things been going um on your side with the creatives Oh, it's going good. Uh, you know, work's keeping me really busy, expecting a baby as well, but I'm still trying to find time to be creative. Um, uh, the podcast, I'm definitely enjoying. I, I don't know exactly when this is going to be out, but it either will be out or very soon. I've got a planning a 24-hour marathon episode of the podcast focused on foreign language films. Oh, man. <laughs> So I, I was definitely the normie on that. I was recommending like the movies that like most people probably know. My guests were like way out there, hardcore cinephiles. So there are a lot of recommendations coming from them. Um, but then besides the podcast, uh, I've revived my YouTube channel, um, which I let die a long time ago. But um, I, I don't know. Like I'm really, really enjoying it now. I'm having a great time. It's I, I, the, the, the channel definitely lacks focus at the moment because I don't know what that focus should be. So I'm just kind of trying stuff out, putting videos like um, I put out like a top 10 noir video. Um, I put out a review on Violent Night because I enjoyed it so much. 
Uh, my next video, which will probably be out by this time, uh, will be on all of my Kino Lorber Studio Classics Blu-rays. So just like okay. a complete collection kind of video. So as you can see, all over the place, but um, I'm definitely having a good time for sure. I'm glad to hear that the YouTube channel has been um, getting some videos because I just keep thinking when I watch it. Good. Twice the pride and double the fall. Once. <laughs> That does not sound encouraging at all. <laughs> no, but I do really like it. I really enjoyed the um, the noir Vembra one. I see noir is one of those genres where I say I like, but I don't watch a lot of them. But they're like a genre I want to just nosedive into, but I just never do. <laughs> Every year I say it. You know what? I, I was a little bit the same. Like I do love noir, and I I jump in and out of the noir genre like kind of all year long. I never make a point out of it in November, usually because I'm so burned out from like mm. going hardcore into horror movies in October. And then I'm just like, oh, I just kind of want to do other things or just watch Star Wars movies or Marvel movies because like my, my brain's kind of dead. Right. Um, but I did watch a lot of noir this past November. It became like my nightly ritual, like after dinner and hanging out with Stephanie, my wife and and uh, doing the dishes like I'm like, all right, I'm going to throw on one of these like 80 minute black and white crime thrillers and see what's going on there. And mm -hmm. uh, and I, I did really enjoy it. So mm -hmm. I, I do recommend Noir Vembering. I think it's a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that episode. So and um, I really enjoyed you having um, come on here for the um, excuse me for the podcast. Um, because I, I don't know, man, like I, I think I talked about it with you before we started. Um, like I just been really enjoying this ride of the prequel movies and I, it, they're one of the trilogies that I don't watch as often because I feel like if I watch one of them, I have to watch all of them all at once. I know that sounds weird, but I feel like the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, it's a little bit easier just to watch one of them and I have to binge through all three. But with the prequels, I could never really, I always told myself I couldn't do that. I'd have to start from the beginning to the third to watch the rise and the fall of Anakin. Um, but man, I just like rewatching them for this. It was just such a ride. It was enjoyable. It was very nostalgic and very appreciative. I really enjoyed this, especially with wrapping up with Red of the Sith, which in my mind was always a movie I thought people gassed up too much. And now I'm kind of looking back and I'm like, with all this stuff that's coming out with Disney Plus and such, I'm like, man, I, I'm really, really glad I got to rewatch the prequels with all this stuff going on. It was like very rewarding. You know, it totally makes sense to me, actually, that you said that the prequels are like the the, the trilogy you want to binge, that you can't just watch one. You got to go through them all. Mm -hmm. Because by far, of all the Star Wars trilogies, it is the most cohesive. Mm. It's my, it personally, it is my least favorite Star Wars trilogy, but it's the most cohesive as one full story told over three movies. Yep. People criticize the sequel trilogy all the time for not having enough of a plan I think that's less of a problem than other people do. Like, I'm not necessarily saying the fact that they didn't have a plan is good. I'm just saying, I think it's less of a problem than people make it out to be still maybe a problem. Um, but even the original trilogy, I don't think it had as much of a plan as people act like it did because like the Luke and Leia being brother and sister twist is kind of thrown in there at the last minute. It doesn't affect the story at all. Mm -mm. Um, it, it's become a cornerstone of Star Wars mythology later on didn't really matter at the time um th there's a lot of things about the original trilogy it's like oh you you it, it kind of comes down to luke and leia thing like oh you had them kiss twice and, and then you're gonna make the brother and sister right. i think there was less planning with that than people think but the prequel trilogy it feels perfectly planned out it feels very much george lucas had one vision and he executed it over three films 
and it totally works as a series. So I, I get what you're going for there. Yeah, and there's just a lot going on. You know, I always thought of the original trilogy is like three different types of movies where it's like one's an adventure movie. One is just like a chasing film because the, the impending danger constantly. And then the third one kind of goes back to trying to be an adventure movie while also like juggling new, new themes. And then the th- sequel trilogy, it feels like such a mer- mystery film um, mixed in with kind of a fun adventure uh, often enough. And then um, with the prequel trilogy though, it just, there's just so many things going on from the politics to um, the Jedi politics to the emotional, um, drama that's going on, not to mention the action as well. And those movies really die, call back to a lot of their um, previous movies. So like, I mean, we talked about the Attack of the Clones episode. There's a lot of reference to stuff off screen, a lot of stuff from the prequel films. And even the third movie references a lot from the first movie a lot of times too. And um, it just constantly feels like it's an engaging movie. Um, I rewatched uh, one of the trilogy, early trilogy movies, uh, original trilogy movies, and it went by really fast. But you know, it just felt like a very like, like I don't know how to say it. Like you go, it's like a restaurant that you really enjoy, and you know what you're gonna order before you get there, and you enjoy the food. And you're like, that's great, that's why I come here. But with the prequel trilogy, it was like, I don't know, it felt like a few courses of meals that were coming in. You know, like that was good. This complements it well, and I'm gonna get this drink with it that complements it. I'm not to say it's a better trilogy, but it just, I don't know, it just. It was just really enjoyable, and there's a lot of stuff that I feel like every time I'm going to rewatch this movie, I'm going to pick up a lot of things. You know, unlike other trilog- the other trilogies, I feel like I'm going to pick up on more, like, Easter eggs and and all those other things, because also, like, the supplemental stuff that's been coming out just complements the prequels so well. And I think I got to credit Disney, and I know with the Clone Wars animated show, um, George Lucas was really proud of that, and when I, you know, I watched a couple episodes here and there, um, it feels like such a love letter to his creation of the prequel films. Yeah, you know, and, and we should acknowledge like how much, you know, this is the trilogy that came out when we were kids, right? Mm-hmm. New mm-hmm. Star Wars, when we were kids growing up, it was the prequels. And uh, and I often said that um, I didn't have a lot of nostalgia for the prequels or that my love for the prequels was not built on nostalgia. Right. Because I like these movies a lot better now than I did when I was a kid. Yeah. But even though I didn't love these movies when I was a kid, I realize now I still do have a lot of nostalgia for them because of everything around them. Like I remember being in grocery stores when Darth Maul is on cereal boxes, right? (laughs) I remember like going to Toys R Us and picking up an Obi-Wan from Revenge of the Sith action figure. I remember Mm. when my brother and I were obsessed with General Grievous action figures and we had to have our Grievous figures and they got (laughs) their four lightsabers. Like I, those are good memories, you know? And like, I didn't totally love the movies at the time. And I think a lot of us were like that because these movies are inherently built to answer a lot of questions. And if it's not the the answer that you wanted, or it's not the answer in your head, that's going to be a problem for a while until eventually you forget the answer that was in your head and you don't care about that anymore. You're just like, well, this is the answer. So like, of course I accept it. This is reality, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, I totally, this one with Revenge of the Sith, the marketing was so heavy for it. Like, I remember, like, this was, like, when Revenge of the Sith was coming out, stores were having, like, already the action figures, kind of like what Marvel does now with their action figures. But I remember a lot of those with, like, General Grievous and all those other things. But then it's, like, lightsabers. And the new FX lightsabers were coming out. The ones where, like, they made the sound effects had now recently came out. You could start buying clone helmets now that made noises. Um, 
I remember a lot of Legos were really heavy on the Revenge of the Sith film. Um, And then the video games were awesome. It was just a, like you said, I I remember the time of that coming out. And of course, a lot of the logos for Star Wars changed. Like Star Wars always had like the kind of like silver look, but then it went to what was white and then more silver. And then now it became like Darth Vader over like molten lava. And it said Star Wars on there. It was just like so much merchandising. It was just very much reminiscent of the time that I do like I did really enjoy that um and I also think with Revenge of the Sith I felt like it could kind of open its legs more like stretch its legs out because of everything they did in Attack of the Clones um because when you when this movie opens when I was watching it with Charlie I was like god this opening is so amazing because it is such a clusterfuck of crazy things going on and this is 2005 and the animation looks awesome and there's eye candy of violence and space fighting and shit and it's like oh my god this is an amazing opening and there's comedy relief in there too it's just ah oh, it's such in the music is perfect to emphasize um just how serious and how like in the weeds we are right now with the characters i just it's just one of the best openings in star wars i would say i totally agree like this movie definitely stands out in the prequel trilogy and you mm-hmm. ask almost anybody what is the best film in the prequel trilogy Everyone's going to tell you Revenge of the Sith and everyone is right. (laughs) It is the best one. One thing that stands out to me about this one, it does a lot of things better than the previous two, but this is an action movie. Like I would say like the last two are like adventure blockbusters and they have Mm -hmm. their action scenes for sure. Mm -hmm. Revenge of the Sith is a straight up action flick. It has so much action in it. So many fight scenes, so many space battles. Um, It really just packs the thrills. It's like, George Lucas and team, you know, looked at the reception for the previous two and we're like, you know what? Like I stand by those movies. I'm certainly not going to retcon anything. It all matters. But what can we do uh, to make the reception better for this one? And it seems like one of the things they thought was ramp up the thrills. And they really, really do. And this opening scene is so great. And the the time that I first rewatched this movie, like as an adult, like a few years ago, what immediately stood out to me is, Oh, this is the MCU humor straight up. Like, I feel like the MCU <laughs> and Kevin Feige looked at the first act of Revenge of the Sith and was like, we're going to do that in every movie. Mm. So then that's what they did. So that's why it always drives me insane when people point to like Disney Star Wars things and they say like, oh, they MCU did or they put in the MCU humor. And I'm like, dude, where do you think the MCU got their humor? Where do you think the MCU got the majority of what makes them great mm. from Star Wars? The Star Wars is by far the most influential thing to the MCU that and, uh, and the same Raimi Spider-Man movies. Like yes. the MCU is built on those two things. That's so 4.0 that 4. GPA energy right there. I like it. <laughs> um, you I, know, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you go, you go, you go. I was just going to clarify that I love the MCU. Most of the time I do like MCU humor and I love Star Wars humor and I love the humor in the first act of this movie. Yeah, it's like Star Wars has the memes like form the actual quotes that fit in perfect like comedy beats. But MCU, it's kind of like it makes the comedy jokes that are funny, but it's also kind of funny to laugh at them at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I think so much of what makes the comedy work, especially in this movie, is Ewan McGregor is just a damn charming actor (sighs) and he's so good. He really is like the he's both like he's like the straight man. He's the fuddy-duddy. 
but he's also the funny one, like all in one. Like he really lets Hayden Christensen be a fucking badass. Like yeah. Hayden Christensen, you're going to be the cool one. I'm going to be the grouchy old man and I'm going to crack the jokes. And he nails it. Like one of my favorite moments, it's so subtle, is just when Anakin says, when they're trapped in a force field, and Anakin says, I say patience. Mm-hmm. And the way Ewan McGregor says patience tells you everything you need to know about their relationship and how he's just like, <laughs> Oh, finally, you're going to do that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I love their banter in this one. It's so much better than Attack of the Clones. And I agree. Ewan McGregor, I think both the leading men, this is at their most handsome best. I love both their looks in this movie. I think it's their most iconic looks, um, in my opinion. They just look so cool. I think I love, I, I mean, I know I love the contrast of Anakin wearing like the dark kind of Jedi robe. It's, which we've really never seen before, um, which I thought was badass. It kind of looks like Luke in episode six. Um, and then Obi-Wan, he looks just, and I love it because he looks just like Qui-Gon with those robes. He looks like, it looks like the same color, the same style. Um, they both have blue lightsabers, obviously. Um, and, they, and they're kind of like almost, e- they're, they are equals at this point. And I love that. But what I think is awesome and smart about this movie is it immediately has the call to action of what's going on, introduces you to um, the villain right away, just like Attack of the Clones did. And it you don't have to wait until the very end, near the end of the third movie to find out who the big, you know, the, the heavy is for the movie. It get, tells you who General Grievous is and you, you see General Grievous. Um, I just love that stuff. I think it, I think it fixed a lot of the, the wrongs of Attack of the Clones. Um, the action, like the starfighter parts, we never seen like a big space battle. I feel like in the prequels like that. Um, I mean, that's a fan, the Phantom Menace. It wasn't nearly a scale like that. Um, I also love how, when the clones join and fight, like I love the, the implementation of the clones so early on. Um, it just, cause it's called, you know, they're calling it the clone war at the end of attack of the clones. And it feels like this is like at the height of the war. Uh, I also love when the droids are fighting with the clones. It looks like they're kind of like, <laughs> I kept saying it's like they're like pirate ships, you know, shooting their cannons at each other as they go by. And it's like, I love that inclusion. Um, It just felt so cool. And it felt like it was pulling elements from so many different types of movies all into Star Wars. And it felt really cool. Absolutely. I love what you said about pirate ships because I love seeing the the influences of classic swashbuckling adventure films in Star Wars. This this movie definitely has a lot of that. Um, speaking of the looks of of Hayden and Ewan, they look so good. I mean, I think at the Oscars for this year, Best Supporting Actor should have went to Hayden Christensen's hair. That <laughs> hair does Dude. so much for him. Yeah. Like, he looked like such a dorky little boy in Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. Now he's got, like, a kind of a mullet thing going on in this movie, and he looks like a man. Like, mm-hmm. he is a grown-ass man in this movie, and he is looking so cool. Like he is the kind of guy every guy would want to be. Mm-hmm. And um, and I love I just love that they went for because people complained a lot about Anakin in the first two movies, right? Mm-hmm, like so right. much complaining. Mm-hmm. And people do complain about him sometimes in this movie, but they really went hard on like, we're gonna make Anakin cool. And yeah. I think they pulled it off. I think he's really cool in this movie. Yeah, especially if before even like any of the bridge movies and stuff were coming out. I mean, this is technically the movie right before, you know, Obi-Wan talks about how he was a cunning warrior. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy and all these other things. And it's like, it's kind of true. He's all of those things. If you take what old Ben says in four and you look at the episode three, he is all those things. He's a badass on the pilot. Um, he's, I mean, he's an awesome sword fighter with the lightsaber. 
I just, I don't know. It just, it's just this great opening. And then it also shows, like, I love how they shoot the danger at the very beginning, like with the buzz droids and everything with Obi-Wan. And it's Anakin saving Obi-Wan um, versus at the end of the first movie, neither of them could help each other. And they needed someone else from the old guard to help them with Yoda. And this one, it feels like, you know, they say there's a bunch of Jedi, you know, that are out fighting right now, but it feels like Obi-Wan and Anakin are doing all the heavy lifting constantly. Um, yeah, I just see like, Yoda sitting on his ass. He's not doing anything. I know, right? That's not true. He went to Kashyyyk. I'm sorry. I'm there sorry. you go. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, it feels like these two guys are just carrying the, the weight. Um, and, oh man, what was I going to say? Um, gosh, I'm breaking right now. Uh, go ahead and talk about something else before I can try and remember. <laughs> you know, I would just say, like, I love the Jedi Starfighters that they fly. I remember my brother and I, we had those. He had the Obi-Wan one. I had the Anakin one. He was the Obi-Wan fan. I was the Anakin fan. Right. And um, and and we loved playing with those. Those were so much fun. That That's one thing I really think about with Revenge of the Sith. Because, let's see, in Reven when Revenge of the Sith came out, I was 12. Um and George Lucas always said that Star Wars is morality tales for 12-year-old boys. Mm, That's what he mm. said. I was a 12-year-old boy when this came out. I was the perfect age. Because I, <laughs> while I did not like the first two, I did like this one when I was a kid. This was the one that I was a fan of. I had so many toys from it. Loved going to the Toy Story, looking at all the Revenge of the Sith stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah, lots of great action and lots of great iconography in this first act. But I love the Count Dooku fight. Mm -hmm. Really, really good rematch. I will just say one kind of criticism. If if you have to pick like who's like a main villain for Anakin Skywalker in the main trilogy, it's got to be Count Dooku yep. because he has two lightsaber fights with him. And I don't know that they really sold like a meaningful hero villain relationship between Anakin and Count Dooku. Right. Um, and, and so that's a little bit of a criticism, but I do like seeing them rematch. And I do like that Obi-Wan gets taken out and Anakin just whoops ass. And, and, yeah. and you know, Obi-Wan says to Anakin, Obi-Wan is so humble in this movie, but he says like, you know, you're a far better Jedi than I'll ever be. You saved me here. Like you need to take the credit. If anything, maybe Obi-Wan is building up his ego too much, but just because <laughs> Obi-Wan is just a, a, such a supportive guy. You know, he loves his friend and he's like, Hey, you're doing great, buddy. Like you go, you go take the glory. I'm good back here. You're awesome. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, my biggest play always has been how short that Dooku fight is, especially like how built up it was at Attack of the Clones. And it's like, yeah, Dooku's this guy who cut his arm off and, you know, is the leader of the uh, the Separatist. I was surprised that it happened so early, but I mean, it does make sense because they talked about General Grievous. Um, and I think it's funny how even in the, just the prologue, it gives the kind of wink and nod to the audience that General Grievous went to Coruscant and kidnapped Palpatine. Like, no one's going to see this, like, over six-foot-tall cyborg alien going into Coruscant and kidnapping <laughs> Palpatine, you know, the most important person who got more. He just more puts his hood up and he blends in. Nobody right? notices. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I and it's like we never even see Grievous and Dooku like interacting with each other or plotting. Like we saw Maul and like you know Sidious. We saw Sidious and Dooku talk, but it's like you know they can't obviously talk to Darth Sidious because they're kidnapping him. But it's like we never got to see them interact with each other um, to be like, all right, well I'm gonna go you know fight them, entertain them. You do this, you know, um, if anything. But yeah, the fight though, it I do love how. It literally carries from the end of Attack of the Clones, where it's like, we, we'll, we'll do it differently this time. You know, the little banter, even like in the impending danger in front of them, you know, they're just so confident. 
with each other and how they work together. It's really nice to see. And I think that's one thing about Attack of the Clones that's very annoying. And, and it's like, I'm sure it was done on purpose. Uh, but it's like the stress of not knowing how they can work together because it seems like it's a fight waiting to happen every time. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you actually like General Grievous? What do you think about him? What's your opinion on him? I think he's really cool in like the mythos and how he looks. But like other than that, that's about it. <laughs> he looks cool. Yeah. I enjoy i feel like it's a bit of like if i wanted to like criticize this movie which frankly i don't really um but if i wanted to i could say like he's a bit of a conflicting tone because it's a pretty dark serious movie and grievous is such goofy pulpy nonsense (laughs) he's this he's this droid uh with some living organs in him his voice is so over the top and he's got the cough i love the cough yeah um but I love it. I don't care that he's like way pulpier than anything else in the movie. Um, I I think he's so much fun and he's a great antagonist for Obi-Wan. Cause if I think about like, who's like my main villain for Obi-Wan Kenobi in this trilogy, he does fight Darth Maul, but he has the most personal stakes with Darth Maul for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. He does fight Jango Fett. But I feel like it's General Grievous. I think Obi-Wan and Grievous, that's my favorite like Obi-Wan versus kind of fight other than the final fight of this trilogy, of course. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy him. I don't think he's like an interesting character. If they announced a Disney Plus show about him, I would be incredibly skeptical. I'd be like, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> but he's fun. He's a fun presence here. Yeah, that's a good point. He's He's totally like the same type of like goofiness is like obi-wan they probably say the same kind of jokes to like their co-workers um but and yeah i do like that but i always thought he looked cool and i remember when they put out that um when lucas films put out the that early animated 2d or um cartoon for attack of the clones um that had introduced general grievous and he was just like this crazy creepy monster that didn't really talk at all. He just flexed this badass like forearm lightsaber thing. I thought that was awesome, but that would never translate well to film. So it was smart to make him a little bit more goofier and a little bit, you know, like you said, pulpy. Um, and plus he's like more representative of the separatists than the Sith. So it's like the separatists are always kind of like these guys, are, th- these aliens are way over their heads, you know? Like, they are lucky that the Sith is helping them. And that's what he kind of represents, and it makes and it makes total sense. Yeah, he's, he's the general of the droid army. So it was a good idea to make him, like, a middle ground between organic and droid. Because he, he definitely started as something organic. Almost nothing of him exists anymore. He's now almost entirely... He's sort of like Darth Vader, but more far gone. And I don't know, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that know really in depth from books, from comics, from whatever, like General Grievous's full backstory. I honestly don't know anything about General Grievous's backstory, but I would imagine he was some kind of alien. Almost all of him is gone by now and he's just reconstructed as a droid. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's a pretty cool idea for a general of a droid army. Cause like, I don't know, certainly Count Dooku is very involved in the war and everything, but you almost can't imagine him interacting with battle droids that much. But General Grievous and battle droids, that, that's an interaction that makes more sense to Especially me. Especially how goofy the super battle droids are in this movie. Yeah. I love the super battle droids. I think they look so cool. And I love the destroyer droids. They're yeah, all great. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, actually, you bring up a good point. One thing I love about a, a Revenge of the Sith is that the um, the supplements and the featurettes on this DVD 
were amazing. It talks about, because it was the last movie. It talked about everything connecting the original trilogy and the prequel movies, and Lucas was very involved with them. I used to wake up on weekends and just watch uh, Revenge of the Sith and like watch the featurettes with it because it gave you clips from the original trilogy, which I didn't own on DVD at the time. So it's like my way to watch the original trilogy were to watch these featurettes with the scenes. And Lucas did say he chose General Grievous to be this kind of organic, metallic um, um, alien because he wanted it to be a prelude to what uh, Anakin was going to become later on in the movie. So the audience would see an early version of Darth Vader before they, at the end of the movie, they see actual Darth Vader. So they wouldn't think it's crazy that this organic person is inside this metallic, metallic kind of body and shell. Um, and that was the big reason for it. And he wanted someone to be kind of like, you know, opposite to Dooku in, in terms of looks, obviously too. So you are right. Like it was supposed to be this kind of compare and contrast to Dooku and then to Anakin as well. Well, perfect. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that. So that's really cool to know. It's like but Lucas knew what the fuck he was doing, right? Exactly. George Lucas knew what he was doing. Yeah. He he really was good about making villains that were all very, very different. Because Palpatine is your through line villain of all of the movies. Right. But he adds in some extra ones. You get Darth Maul, Jango Fett, Count Dooku, and General Grievous. All extremely different characters, both in looks and personality. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one, that's just good for storytelling and being memorable. But also, two... That's really good for action figures, and the prequel trilogy spawned a lot of really good action figures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one thing I think he did well, uh, Lucas, is I don't know if he meant to or not, because um, I can't remember anything from my childhood of him talking about it, but um, I remember thinking how heavy the choreography of Attack of the Clones were with the Jedi in terms of movement and the way they fought. Obviously, Yoda, a big uh, part, part of it. But I love how they kind of keep it very down to earth with the fighting, with the lightsaber dueling. Like, I mean, to me, one of the most iconic parts of Star Wars, if at least for the tri- for the prequels, is when Anakin and Obi-Wan crash into the Grievous ship. And they both, well, Anakin, like a badass, flops out and just freaking yes. steam rolls out. And I'm like, one of the best things ever in the prequels is just that little motion and then obi-wan or and obi-wan does it and then anakin shoots out and then just kind of badass stand colds and like deflects and fights and they're just talking while r2's doing stuff i'm like this is like one of the coolest coldest things ever in the trilogy prequels and it's very it seems very like realistic it's not super cgi would um i don't know i think lucas maybe dialed it back um and i think he did it really well for this and same thing when he they're fighting dooku you know, there's not as much force. It's just saber on saber, and it's very much just the actors with their sticks fighting in front of each other, and it's it just very believable and very engaging. I'm so glad you mentioned Anakin and Obi-Wan, but especially Anakin getting out of their starfighters. It is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, that is super iconic. Mm-hmm. And it's like it shows the power of them just increasingly, like, blowing up in, in front of the opposition. Like, they're like, it's almost like, I mean, if they can have a conversation tell R2 what they specifically need to get done while they're fighting these droids, it's like they, they impose zero threat. And I love that. And I love how the battle droids are kind of played for comedy because it's like they are just kind of robots, right? They're just, like, very easy to destroy. But then... Yeah. After, oh, well, well, let's hold up. But, you know, then you get to introduce different types of robots and droids. Um, but after Obi-Wan falls and get you know, and gets knocked out and then Anakin fights Dooku. Um, man, there's a lot of layers to that fight. Just like what Dooku thinks is going on, what Anakin thinks is going on, and what us as an audience knows what's really going on is very, very interesting. Because I know Dooku... 
<clears throat> probably intends to kill or manipulate Anakin because City has told him to. And I think Anakin just straight up just wants to get revenge because he's just very naive. And we as an audience think, well, we know Dooku probably has to die. Um, but the fact that Palpatine is watching it all is very gross and sadistic. But gosh, it's so like eye candy. <laughs> Yeah, Palpatine completely betrays Dooku. And you know that Dooku is not expecting it because nope. when Palpatine says, kill him, Dooku looks at him like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, this is not what we talked about. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's it's like sad, but also it just shows you what a ruthless son of a bitch Palpatine is. Yeah, yeah. And I think Ian, uh, remind me how you spell, say his last name, Ian McDermott? McDermott. Yeah, Dermot. I think so. I think, I mean, he deserves an Oscar for this movie. He just has so many layers to his character, and we finally get him fleshed out in this movie. Um, but when he says, do it, do it now, and then he hits the iconic, do it. Oh, goodness. Absolutely. Yeah, this is, for me, this is Palpatine's movie. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a great ensemble movie. Ewan McGregor is amazing in it. Hayden Christensen, for the first time in the trilogy, is amazing in it, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, but it does feel like this is the Palpatine movie. And uh, and it's so satisfying. I do think he is excellent in the film. He is so manipulating. And um, and I really like the ways that he manipulates Anakin through the film. He's constantly building up Anakin's confidence and therefore ego and getting Anakin to expect things that Palpatine knows he's not going to get. So Anakin at the beginning of this movie is not expecting to get named a Jedi Master at any time soon. Right. He's not expecting to get on the Jedi Council anytime soon. He just never talks about that. Uh, but Palpatine gets him to want it and expect it, mm. knowing that they're not going to do that. And therefore setting the Jedi up to disappoint him. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that this time around. I don't know what I was on the last times I watched it, but I did kind of think that is smart that he's putting these things in his mind that he should be asking these questions when he has no business asking them right now or ex having this expectation. Um, yeah. When he kills Dooku, too. Uh, again, this movie is ultra violent in terms of Star Wars up until this point. Probably, and I'm, yeah, it's the most violent Star Wars movie, I would say. Yeah, and I'm down for it. I mean, breaks my heart seeing Christopher Lee get decapitated. Um, but the thing about this movie, which is different than Anakin in the last movie, he's very, he's very much more remorseful. In the second one, he's like, "Now nah, they deserved it, or I wanted to do this. Fuck all. Um, in this one, he's constantly i shouldn't have done that i should i know i shouldn't but you know this it's constantly anakin's um you know mo in this movie he's just always being like the you know, remorseful but he does the actions every single time the whole th i mean i always think the big thing about a uh, revenge of this is what i love and i hate when it because it's so early in the movie when he has dooku there and he has him with crossed um arms i'm like okay one eye arm for an arm fair but then it's like ah what would the movie, what would everything be like if he didn't kill Dooku? What would that be like? What would that do for Anakin? And it drives me nuts all the time because I don't actually know what would it be like. Would anything actually change or things just get progress progressed further to get his manipulation? But when he does do it, it's like, oh, Anakin, you should have known better for that one. And he even says it. It's not the Jedi way. I know, you know, and all these other things. And it's like, ooh, that's just the whole theme the entire time. As someone who gets buy who used to have buyer's remorse on Black Friday sales and Blu-rays, um, it's like, oh, dude, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be interesting to see like a uh, 
like a Marvel what if kind mm-hmm. of like episode about like what if Anakin didn't kill Dooku? Like if they arrested Dooku, would Dooku stay loyal to Palpatine? Or would he not? Would he out Palpatine and like say, nah, this is the Sith Lord? I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, there are two cases in the movie that I think are very interesting in that Anakin reacts to something by doing the right thing. Oh, and both okay. times the 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 Jedi disappoint him in their reactions to it. And the first one is when he's having these visions of Padme dying, which I'm sure Palpatine is putting into his head. I'm, ah. they don't, the movie doesn't say that, but I'm positive. Hmm. Um, his first reaction is to go to Yoda for advice. Right. Yeah, okay. And Yoda gives him garbage advice. He yes. just says like, well, don't worry about it if people die because they will become one with the force. So Rejoice. don't warn them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, you know, like a religious person, like if someone close to you passed away and a religious person just said, oh, they're in heaven now. So don't worry about it. That's not helpful advice at no. all. It's no. not helpful. Yeah. Even if you believe that, it's not helpful. Mm-mm. And then the second time is when he finds out Palpatine is the Sith Lord, his first reaction is to go to Mace Windu, mm. even though Mace Windu has never been nice to him. I, I think Mace Windu personally dislikes Anakin. I think that's very clear to see. Uh, which is not a very Jedi feeling, but Mace Windu does seem a little bit darker than your average Jedi. Um, a little bit more rage. I think I think that's in Star Wars lore. Um, but uh, so his first reaction is to go to Mace Windu and Mace Windu decides to become judge, jury, and executioner. Exactly yeah. what Anakin did earlier and Anakin knows is not the Jedi way. Right. And the thing is, Anakin had done it, but then he's going to get upset with Mace Windu for doing it too. The that's hypocrisy, very true. The hypocrisy, but also... The remorse, that's what drives me nuts. It's like the action's already done, you know? You think about people thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Well, why did you do it? You know what I mean? Like, the temp- was it the temptation? Was it the pride? Like, what What told Anakin at that moment that he should have done that? Was it persuasion? Uh, I think maybe it was Anakin thinking maybe we could end the war right now and, like, the lust for glory. Um, another part, maybe the presence of Sidious in a dark presence maybe pushed him to do it. Or maybe Dooku was too dangerous to be kept alive. Um, like Palpatine said, I'm not sure because um, I guess Grievous is the leader of the droid army at that point. Um, but also it's like it's a Jedi with no arms. So like what's he going to do? Um, <laughs> but at the end of it all, I still can't help but think what is going through Count Dooku's mind? Because he's a character we've spent very little time with, but the supplements feed so much more into that character. And it's like, man, imagine like you've dedicated, you've betrayed your ways, you've lost your apprentice, you you know, you change your belief and your perspective on things. You trust this person who promised you gave you empty promises, you know, and then it's like all that's left is that you're just a pawn in a war. This great respected Jedi with this amazing power, and you're left to be nothing but a pawn to a bigger plan. It's very sad. It's tragic, and it makes me feel for Dooku more and more the, with, with more stuff that comes out about him. And every time I watch this movie, um, and it's like a lot of these characters end up being like Dooku in some perspective. Like they ultimately they're they're great feats like the things that happen to them unless they get redeemed in later installments of things they just become pawns of the clone war and it's so sad yeah it's very clear in star wars that the life of a sith lord is a tragic life Mm -hmm. the life of a sith lord is never happy it never goes how you want it to um it's a it's a life that is it's quicker and easier to strong force powers. That's what Yoda says in Empire Strikes Back. It's not stronger, but it's quicker and easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it never, life never turns out the way you want because the life of Darth Maul 
Count Dooku and Anakin Skywalker are deeply tragic lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just something I always kind of get like a little bit more. This is the thing with Revenge of the Sith. I get more contemplative and I get very much more thinking. And like, again, the Yoda, the Yoda advice is probably the most gross thing a Sith could do. Don't mourn people you care about. Love them. Don't even love them. Just be happy for them. It's like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> how do you not tell helpful. any living thing, like, not to be sad about them dying? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, like, one of the grossest things in this movie. And I think it's done, ex it's executed well, you know? It's done in a great way, but it's just, I think that's part of the point of it. Um, and I love how even Palpatine touches on the Jedi dogma as well and says, like, how it's flawed, their lust for power is growing. He kind of has a point because the transition of power in this movie is always in question. And even I'm on rewatches constantly. I'm like, how would they properly have the peaceful transition of power if not the Jedi would have to temporarily take control of the Senate? Which, you know, it, you know that's always been like the no, you, they can't do that. But it felt like that. that's what they would have to do. It's like we can't keep the country in order unless we put it under martial law. Like we have to put it in martial law to like make sure, even if it's for a little bit, just to make sure everything is fine. It kind of feels like that. And it's, it's a very interesting um, dilemma in this movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's very clear the Jedi are broken. Uh, to one degree or another. And, mm -hmm. and you know, like we talked about in Attack of the Clones and that Count Dooku tries to manipulate manipulate Obi-Wan by telling him mostly the truth yeah. um, from a certain point of view, <laughs> like Obi-Wan says uh, right. later in the in the series. Um, and that's, that's a lot of what Palpatine does say to Anakin, some truths from a certain point of view. Um, but of course, like the, the Palpatine and Anakin stuff is never better than the scene in the opera when he tells the tragedy of Darth Plagueis. Gosh, it's a, one of the awkwardest conversations in terms of like place and setting, but it is one of the like <laughs> it's the, so creepy. But it, it it's a very gaslighting kind of conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very I creepy wanna, stuff. I want to I want to know like what was the opera show they were watching because every time I watch, I always try to pay attention to what they're watching. It's like people going from like water sphere to another water sphere. It's very weird. <laughs> art is very weird in Star Wars. A lot yeah. of very strange art going on. Yeah, you see people walking up to the gala, and there's this one alien with outrageously large breast, and it, the camera kind of follows her and trails her and zooms, and I'm like. Lucas, what are you doing? This is a PG-13 movie. <laughs> oh, no. Boobs exist in Star Wars. Um, De definitely one of my favorite performances in Star Wars is in Solo, when you see the fish in the fish tank yeah. sit crooning jazz music. <laughs> yeah, That's it's good, great. Good pull, good pull. Um, <laughs> gosh, this is the first act is just awesome. Like We touch on so many things. That's just like the first act really um and when i what i talked about earlier when they when they run into grievous and they get trapped they go wait a minute we're smarter than this and obviously it's because palpatine's there that's manipulating their thoughts and they meet you know grievous and he says your uh you know lightsabers will add a fine addition to my collection there's a deleted scene where shock t is there and grievous kills shock t and takes her lightsaber and says the same th that's when he delivers that line to him I'm glad they pull that line out. I don't know why. It seems like really dark for them to just kill Shakti in front of them. 
And when he says, uh, another to add to my collection. <laughs> right. And then he gets introduced to General Grievous bodyguards, which, badass. Those are cool. Yes. Yeah. Talk about, like, you know, you know the, the droids getting, like, funnier in comic relief. Because, like, in the first movie, the funniest thing you get is the Roger Roger. And, the, and like, the coolest thing is the droidicas. In the second movie, you know, the dro- battle droids are more comical. But then you get the super battle droids and they're super serious. And then in the third movie, they're all jokes except the grievous bodyguards. Those things are badass. I knew that I really loved super battle droids. Uh, in the, fir- when I was watching the first season of the Mandalorian and uh-huh. there's a flashback to Din Djarin's, um, childhood when their family were attacked by separatist armies and, uh, and you see a super battle droid. And I was like, oh, man, that does so much for my nostalgic heart just to see a super battle droid again. Yeah, and it's in live action, quote unquote, too. Well, I mean, this live action, too, but they are all CGI. Yeah, yeah, but we hadn't seen it in such a long time because you got the Clone Wars with them. I love how their arms are like face front, but then they turn them to like engage mode. (laughs) I don't know. And also R2. I love their interactions with R2. I think that's really funny. Also, I get really annoyed because Grievous is like, you know, what does he say? Ignore the Jedi. Just keep flying the ship. I'm like, my brother in fucking Christ. Like, they're killing your fucking pilots. How can they focus on flying a ship? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, when he says it's time to abandon ship, I'm just going to skip past that. Um, When they finally land the ship, you see Senator Bail Organa, who to me is one of the unsung heroes of this movie. Um, I love how he talks to Anakin. And first of all, I just love Anakin and Obi-Wan bantering about, no, 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 I'm not brave enough for politics. Um, which tells you that the Jedi are feeling really, they're feeling themselves. They're engaging with politicians. They're getting in the news and they're talking about what, what, what big heroic things they're doing. Um, but then you see Padme and I'm thinking, if you're trying to hide this marriage... How are you hiding, like, very unconspicuously, like, right there, (laughs) you know? Yeah. You know what cracks me up about that scene is that um, Anakin's, like, almost one of the first things he says is, like, I don't care if they know we're married. Like, I don't want to hide this anymore. And she's like, hey, don't talk like that. We're not going to do that. Right. And then she tells him she's pregnant, and she says, what are we going to do? And I'm like, he just said he didn't want it to be a secret anymore. And, like, if you're going to have a baby together, you're going to have to come clean. And he right. just said that's what he wanted to do, and you said no. So why are you even asking that at this point? Um, that conversation doesn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> but I do think the chemistry between Padme and Anakin is light years better in this movie. Yeah, like I buy them as a couple in this movie, where I it was really hard to in the second one. Yeah, I wonder like how long they'd been together. I guess long enough for him to grow his hair, and for two for her to be pregnant. Um, but it's um. It's kind of uh, sad, like the way they talk about the pregnancy, because it's like, oh, well, maybe we'll, we'll we'll go to Naboo and we can like hide there and stuff like that. And in, in actuality, I feel like if they wanted to, well, they'd have the baby. If they, you know, wanted to live life with that choice, it would just be Anakin just gets expelled from the Jedi Council and just like lives a life as a Force user on his own. You know, doesn't sound right. that bad, I guess. And if they live in Naboo, she obviously is of royalty there. So, it doesn't. I sound mean, if like I a... if I had the choice to be in a loving relationship with Padme Amidala or hang out with Mace Windu and Yoda at the Jedi Council, <laughs> I'm picking the first option for sure. <laughs> right? Like it's like it's like I mean, buddy. I, it sounds like everything's you know game set and match. Like you just gotta call it at that point. 
it really goes to show how stupid the no love rule is for Jedi. Right. Because if this relationship were open, everything probably would have been fine. He just would have went to his buddy, Obi-Wan, and been like, oh man, I'm having these visions that my wife is going to pass away. And and Obi-Wan probably would have been able to talk him down and be like, hey, you know, it's okay. And, and we're going to get her the best medical care. And I think everything's going to be fine. And everything probably would have been fine if he could just talk to his friends about this, you know? Not mm-hmm. Yoda, but his actual friends. You know, I'm, I just thought of a very sick and gross, but possibly, like, realistic take on that is that... They talk about, like, no connection, no love or anything like that. But if they're willing to break treason because it's war, I mean, what would have stopped Jedi from, like, having intimate relationships on off-world planets that are nowhere near the Jedi Republic or in the Outer Rim? Most of them probably do. I mean, honestly, I, I don't. not that I know of any lore has ever gone into this. Right. But I'm sure that there are Jedi that have girlfriends on different planets, like, you know, World War II sailors, like yeah, a girl yeah. on every porch. Right. Probably. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you really want to think about it in a realistic way, it's like, they probably were. But Anakin just happened to find, fall in love with the Queen of Naboo. <laughs> yeah. And we know there are a lot of brothels in Star Wars. Mm. So I would yeah. imagine there are some Jedi patrons. Yeah. And him with that mullet, he would not be able to, like, escape any of those outer rims. <laughs> or the outer rim sorry but yeah I, I that's one part that's very odd like they hide like that but i do like anakin's calm demeanor when he's like this is one of the best days of my life it's gonna be fine because obviously padme is very scared i really like that Me um too. i i agree like their relationship is way more believable but i love that lucas includes how there's still problems in the relationship though they are crazy about each other and they have they're living with this like you know deceit they still have problems like Anakin can't come clean and be honest with her it seems like she's always trying to get in but he's pushing her back or she wants to support him but she maybe doesn't know how to support him there's a lot of marital problems in this movie between the two that aren't very like that aren't said out loud but they're very obvious and and I, I really enjoy it because it helps with the drama of the uh, the fall of Anakin, um, and w- into the also to like the disbel to the belief he has with Padme and Obi Wan, um, and the suggestive ideas that he has towards those two, um, and it makes it all the more heartbreaking because you think about them as like they're they you grew up watching them together and then they become lovers and then they get married, but it's like they can't even talk to each other about these dreams he's having or like his their opinions on politics they still disagree on like they're like still dating, um. It, it's it's a very smart inclusion that Lucas does for it because it makes it all the more tragic, but it's not just like, oh, it was love at first sight and that's all that's all it was. You know what I mean? Like they're right. still gonna have issues. And it it's shows like Anakin is stressed out not only with the Jedi Council, his life's always in danger because they're fighting in wartime. She's pregnant and having to hide that while also serving her duty as a politician. But then they, they also like have to worry about each other and like how did they make their marriage work? Um, and there's at home stress for each of them. And I think that also adds to, um, both of them. And, and like the track, like she says, she has the will to live. She's dealing with a lot of at home issues and he as well. No wonder he's always stressed out. He has a lot of at home issues too. They're not doing each other any favors. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure that having a relationship that you have to hide, which is therefore kind of built around shame would be mm-hmm. very stressful. Um, what do you think about the fact that so much of Anakin's turn to the dark side is set on 
him being worried Padme is going to die and trying to gain a power that will overcome that. It's such a, it's, I mean, I said it, it's, it's like when you're so desperate and you're kind of, you know, emotionally put into a corner, you're willing to believe anything to help that person. But also I feel like at this point in their lives and their relationship, I felt like when they got married and such, it was very great. It was very strong. It was very loving. But at this point, there's some time that's passed now. I feel like they're he's kind of drained and it feels like he's trying to salvage a relationship that's been broken due to one a war and his obligations and commitments to the Jedi and the war and um she probably has um a resentment towards him in some ways because of um him not being able to be there all the time as a as a husband and also if you really want to put it into a very dark point you know, maybe, you know, they had this child and she was in the hopes that this could save that marriage in some ways. I mean, I don't think that's actually the case, but you could argue that is a point to it. Um, and I, it's very sad. And I feel like Anakin is emotionally put into a corner from all angles. And it makes sense why he would transition to the dark side, because it's a side and it's coming from a person who didn't do anything that put him in that corner at any point in this movie. Yeah, I've heard this this be criticized about the movie a lot that that for a reason from turn to turn to the dark side is pretty weak. Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. While I am last watch when I'm last watching this movie, preparing for this podcast, I currently have a pregnant wife, right? Very pregnant wife. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking if I believed that she was going to die, giving birth to this child, I feel like I would do anything. Right. To make that not happen. like, And it's almost like you, you would kind of assume that that's how you'd feel, but it's even more extreme when you're in that situation. Absolutely. Um, and me having a vision is not the same as Anakin Skywalker having a vision. If no. I have a vision, which is basically a dream, um, I can write that off. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Anakin Skywalker is a Jedi. He can legitimately have premonitions. He has before about his mother. And uh, so it's, there's a much more reason for him to take that seriously than for me. So if I'm in his situation, I get it. I don't think it's, uh, I I think it works. I don't think it's dumb. Like I hear a lot of people say it is. No, no. And he's technically right in his vision too. I mean, he doesn't know the, the extent to how much he played into it, but he does know the end result is she's going to die in pregnancy. And maybe yeah. it was him doing too much that fell to it, like being so consciously aware of it. But in the past, he wasn't as aware of it before. He had visions of his mother, and he told Obi-Wan, we're, we're led to believe he had told Obi-Wan in the past in Attack of the Clones. And when it's brought up in the movie itself, he said, is it visions of your mother again? It's because he's mentioned these things before, and he just was never able to do anything about it. And now he yeah. does have the one, the power, and now the ability, and then the ability to, to do it. I mean, yeah, I'd be on edge too. I mean, it, it totally makes sense. And that's why this movie, um, I think, is done better with age is it becomes more believable. It becomes very much more realistic. It's a, it's a weird realistic take on something that happens very often um, in terms of pregnancies and you know fears that men have and dogmas and institutions that does that do not adjust to um, you know new new ideas and and the way that you know society works and I think Lucas is ahead of his time with these kind of approaches that I don't think were appreciated then I mean we lived it was this movie was two thousand five it's at a conservative time in America and you know I don't think he's trying to make it that political but at the same time you can't help but think like you know. 
<laughs> mental mental health awareness was not a big thing, especially not with men. Um, you know, abortions is still, you know, a big controversial thing at its time. And, you know, you get the church trying to reform at this time as well. I mean, there's a lot of things that come in the real world that can affect this movie in hindsight. And I totally think it's believable. And I think Anakin, what makes him so compelling is he's not really wrong. It's just the people who were good weren't good enough. And that's what makes it ultra bad and ultra sad at the same time. Yeah. It is that, well, first of all, you were talking about um, possible political allegories and such. Let me just say right now, Star Wars is political. Mm -hmm. George Lucas always intended Star Wars to be political. Mm -hmm. And if you ever hear someone say, don't put politics in my Star Wars, never listen to that person. They don't know what they're talking about. Right. Shout out Andor, the most political thing Star Wars ever. Right. And if you, I mean, you rewatch the original trilogy, it is so clearly obvious they are space nazis like in oh yeah every, in every beat they are totally that including naming them stormtroopers which is what hitler named his um troops in north africa during world war ii they were called stormtroopers because of the desert of course it's like yeah i totally agree yeah yeah george lucas is clearly extremely anti-nazi because he made both star wars and Indiana Jones all about hating Nazis and punching them and shooting them. Yeah. That's one other thing about the prequel trilogy. It's like maybe appreciate it's like, God bless George Lucas. Like, oh my God, like that guy. <laughs> yeah. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, I'm go, off go track. Ahead. What were we talking about? It's it is political. Oh, that's right. Um I don't know where I was going with that. I think my thought was done. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, like, we get through all of that. I love how we just kind of hang out at the Jedi Temple. We get a lot of stuff with Anakin interacting with Jedi, the Obi-Wan talking to the other Jedi. Like Mace, it was really just Mace Windu and Yoda. Um, just kind of, like, discussing things. And then you transition to Anakin talking to Palpatine. Um, when Palpatine... Uh, or not probably when Anakin misses the what's it called the 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 briefing about what's ever going on with the war and he said everything's good but he says Palpatine wants to talk to him I feel like that's when everything starts to go down when Palpatine which is such a smart and cheeky move when he requests the council to have Anakin be on the council because he knew what the council would do and what that would do to the morale and thoughts and emotions of Anakin God, that is such a genius move that I just only appreciate more when you talk about politics today and just like, you know, even in like the workplace and the why people do the things they do and they're thinking two moves ahead. God, that is such a genius move in terms of trying to manipulate someone and try to create chaos where there isn't any at the moment. Yeah. And I do kind of love when Anakin's complained to obi-wan like oh i can't believe they put me on the council but not give me the rank of master and obi-wan's just like calm down nobody as young as you has ever been on the council before like just be thankful god right and obi-wan's on the council now too when we realize that too it's never announced that he was you just see him sitting with the council it's like ah good for my boy over there like obi-wan got in the council obi-wan is so pure he is such Mm -hmm. a good person in this movie i just love him yeah and um and you know what? what's also great is like he's one of the few jedi that has a great relationship with clones obviously with commander cody none of the other jedi like yoda is barking orders in all of attack of the clones and in the third movie too he doesn't even remotely talk to the um just the clone troopers in kashik 
Um, but Obi-Wan's the only one that seems to have any sort of developed relationship with clones. And I really appreciate that because, I mean, up until the Order 66 stuff, I mean, the clones are pretty cool. I, and I said, I love their original Gen 1 where they look and attack the clones. I love that design the most. But at the same time, I love the, the, the personalities they have in this movie. Like Commander Cody's banter with Obi-Wan is great. Obi-Wan is just that guy that everyone likes. He has like a good relationship with everybody. He's mm-hmm. nice to everybody. He's like that guy in high school who's like a part of every clique and every group. <laughs> Just like every kind of person likes him. That's yeah. who Obi Wan is. That's a, that's a good point. That's a yeah. I like that. Um, and then <laughs> when when Yoda goes to Kashyyyk, you get little glimpses of Kashyyyk. I, I and I, I enjoy how they throw Chewbacca in there too. Like I I feel like that's a little bit that of that is a, fun. That's, yeah, it's kind of gives you like some backstory a little bit there. The, oh, obviously they show how cool the clones look in Kashyyyk as well. I heard there were some plans to possibly include little kid Han Solo with Chewbacca. I'm really glad they didn't do that. Yeah. That would have been a mistake. Wow, that would have been really bad. Really bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you get Turfa as well, which is a new character that's introduced as a Wookiee um, there as well. Um, I love that Kashyyyk stuff. It, it just looks really cool. Um, I love how it's like, you know, it's a, it's a star system we cannot afford to lose, you know? <laughs> um, and again, I, I think it's smart of Lucas to push how crazy um, the Clone Wars is getting because it's nearing the end. Because even Palpatine says to Grievous, the war is near an end. Um, where there's not a lot of support to help Anakin and he's only isolated with Palpatine. And Palpatine's feeding these things like, oh, you're on the council now. You know, they. I'm going to recommend you to go to Kashyyyk or, or go fight Grievous at, at Utapau and all these other things, which he knows that they're not going to, the Jedi's not going to go for. And it's like manipulating wartime efforts <laughs> to like gain things. It's like, it's, it's, it's a savvy move. I got to give credit to Palpatine. He just knew everything that was going on because obviously he's playing both sides of the field, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love the scene when uh, Anakin and Padme are talking and Padme just floats out the idea, you ever considered we might be on the wrong side? Mm. And that's just like, it just really just represents what I love so much about the prequel trilogy. And I've said it, I think on every episode so far that I'm so glad it's not bad guys coming in to fight the good guys and then bad guys take over. It's about the good guys turning into the bad guys. And, right. uh, and Padme is the only person in the movie who recognizes it early on. Um, no one, no one else does not even Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really love that. And, uh, and when, when everything's starting to fall apart, when Palpatine is really, really taking over, um, I love how Anakin isn't like, I'm turning to the dark side. I'm decided I'm going to be a bad person. He doesn't do that. He's like, right. I'm going to stay loyal to the Republic. And that's literally what he does. It's just that the Republic is turning into something very evil. Very, yeah, yeah. And and it's also, it's weird that he says that and she doesn't take too crazy, like, uh, of, an, of, of, a, of, a, of a reaction to it. Because it's like, her whole job is, like, making sure there is a democracy. She's a senator. Like, that's her job. Like, having an empire, her job is basically gone at that point. It's just a, just a, what's it, a title at that point? Um... Yeah, it's really sad. I feel like Padme in this movie it doesn't have as much of a screen time as the previous two movies, but she has some of the best dialogue and emotional moments in this movie. I got to give it to Natalie Portman. Um, she really she didn't phone it in. She was totally on like on it in all of the scenes with her in it. Um, 
Yeah, you know, some people, another criticism I hear about this movie a lot is the romantic dialogue towards the beginning of the movie is very cheesy between Anakin and Padme. I don't agree. I kind of wonder if people who say that have never been in a serious relationship or especially haven't been like expecting a baby with a partner. Um, Because there's definitely some cheesy things that you say to each other because emotions are running high. And, uh, and I don't find those lines cheesy at all. And, um, and I agree, like Natalie Portman's role shrinks with every prequel movie, mm-hmm. which is a shame, but she still does have standout moments in this movie. I, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when things are starting to really fall apart and Anakin and Padme are in different buildings and they're just looking out on the Coruscant <sighs> skyline and it's just yeah. silence and there's this beautiful but ominous music and both of them are like on the verge of tears because they can like feel each other and they can feel that everything is about to fall apart and they're about to lose everything. Yeah. I just love that this big action movie, because like I said, it's a kick-ass action movie, mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. take the time to pause in silence and just let characters feel things. Yes, and that was missing in the last movie. I feel like a Phantom Menace kind of does a good job of it, some balancing issues, but this movie definitely got it right. For me, I love the scene because it's heartbreaking because it's like a premonition to what is going to happen is when Padme is brushing her hair their first night together and Annika is just watching her and she's talking about the baby and how their life is going. She wants it to be on Naboo and she's raising them and teaching school and stuff like that. And he's just watching. He's happy. He's genuinely happy. He's comfortable. He's not stressed out. There's nothing attacking him at all. It's right, right before his dream. And it breaks my heart because it's like Padme's just thinking about the future life she's about to have and she's accepting it and she's excited about it. And Anakin is excited about it and happy too. And it's like we never they'll they'll never get that. And we as an audience know that they're never gonna have that. And that to me that's heartbreaking, but also like a small slice of like ignorant bliss there. I know. Like a, <sighs> uh, the the prequel is a trilogy of a lot of tragedy. But the most heartbreaking tragedy for me is probably Padme. Mm-hmm. And like, she did not deserve this. No. It's so, and she even like tried to fight back against falling in love with Anakin and like didn't really want things to go like that. But uh, it happened. And um, she, she was an amazing person, so much great potential for her life to do so much good for the galaxy. And, uh, and her life was cut so short and had so much sadness. So sad to me. Yeah. It is sad. Um, yeah. and, and there's also like another moment with Anakin genuinely happy at the time. Um, another thing that preludes to what's not going to be able to happen is when he tells Obi-Wan, when Obi-Wan gets the assignment to go to Utapau to fight Grievous, they have that little interaction before he boards and he kind of says so long old friend. And he talks about, like you said, you became a far better Jedi than I ever can. Um, I love yeah. that scene. It's it's it literally is like their final goodbye. They don't see each other until Mustafar, and I love how Lucas films it where Anakin has the high ground and Obi Wan is going down. So at that point, Anakin is above Obi Wan, and Obi Wan is instead of looking down in anger like Anakin eventually does. Obi Wan's looking up with proud and you know you know being pro- prideful, not prideful, but being proud of his friend, being humbled like you said, and. Anakin is appreciative. He's he's not looking down on Obi-Wan. He's happy and he's accepted where he's at now. And, you know, the metaphorical, you're above me, I'm going down and I'm going to let you go, stay where you're at versus the type of I'm above you and you're below me kind of interaction they're going to have at the end of the movie um, is 
just awesome from Lucas. And then it's also just kind of like a heartfelt sad goodbye. And he does a good job of like telling the audience this is going to be their last friendship goodbye. But also it's like an exchange of like, hey, you might end the war and I don't know what's going to happen between you and what's going on there. But I just want to let you know, you know, how many times have they maybe had that conversation? I don't know. Yeah, I I absolutely love that scene. I keep saying that about every scene. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I love it because Anakin, he apologizes to Obi-Wan in that scene. is like, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, I haven't been Mm -hmm. a good enough friend and I haven't been the Jedi I should be. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the way Ewan McGregor's performance is so good in this movie and the way he looks at Anakin says so much, just this little subtle expression like, I love this guy and I'm so proud of him. Like that's Mm -hmm. what it, it says to me. And it's just wonderful. I think Ewan McGregor is... Both, I think both of them are just fantastic here. Yeah, I feel like they definitely like match each other's energy in this movie. Although one thing about this rewatch um, that felt a little different, and I think it's because the Disney Disneyified version of Star Wars we get now, is I'm thinking about the Clone Wars and I'm thinking about Ahsoka and all those other things that I know that are like Lucas had no awareness of at the time of this movie. I think it's after Revenge of the Sith where he decided he wanted to do the 3D Clone Wars movie. I could be yeah, wrong. the Clone Wars movie came out in 2008, yeah. which like okay. kicked off the show. Right, and I know he always wanted to explore the Attack of the Clones and never got an opportunity until that point. And the inclusion of giving Anakin all this stuff, um, I wish he was able to do something remotely similar to that in any sort of way, a, a, you know, a mention or something, if he was able to, if he had that at the time, would be awesome. Of Ahsoka? Yeah, of Ahsoka, or even like Anakin being this great Jedi general as well. Because... To this point, when I'm thinking about it now in terms of rewatch and, you know, where we're at with Star Wars, um, it feels weird to think like Anakin, we eventually know that he was training someone and that he was in these great battles by himself. Because I'm led to believe in watching Revenge of the Sith, he's fighting with Obi-Wan all the time. Yeah, I um, so Ahsoka was created by Dave Filoni. She's like his baby, like his greatest creation. Um, one thing that I meant to watch before recording this, and I didn't, I forgot about it until just now okay. is supposedly the final three episodes of the Clone Wars show oh, are okay. what Ahsoka was doing during Revenge of the Sith. Oh. And I've heard it's amazing. I'm now, I'm now like, what a terrible podcaster. I haven't seen it <laughs> no, yet, no, no, but I need good. to check it out. Mm. No, you're good. I just kept thinking about it. Cause like, I haven't gotten that far in the Clone Wars. I think I've got through all of season one and season two a little bit, and I watched the movie as well, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, but I did think, like, as emotionally great um, beat by beat the Revenge of the Sith movie is, because there's more Star Wars that feeds into it, it makes it feel a little awkward at times. Like, you talked about the com- – I mean, yeah, the dialogue a, little, a few times is a little awkward, but, like, in terms of, like, all the added information we get. And, again, that's what's the problem with, like – adding stuff and filler and background information, you know, the more we go on, it kind of makes them feel a little weird at times. Cause I know there's someone who didn't watch attack uh revenge of the Sith when it came out in theaters. Um, I'm probably going to go like, well, where's Ahsoka? Where's Captain Rex? Where's more of the commander Cody stuff and such like that. Or, you know, Darth Maul's doing all this other stuff. Um, it makes it feel a little different and a little weird probably to like how we reacted when we were watching, um, you know, Revenge of the Sith. I just, it's a weird thought I had throughout the movie a little bit. Well, I think people should keep in mind it's uh, already two hours and 20 minutes. There's only <laughs> so much time. 
that's it's already rushing through a lot of things and uh, it, it is it's a fast moving movie it is and like i mean when we get to utapau and they're fighting and and obi-wan's talking about you know like we're you know where they're at and stuff and you hear and he's sneaking in and he drops the hello there oh iconic hello there Can honestly utapau is one of the best things in this movie i think the planet looks cool i love the little lizard or feathered lizard he rides um, yes. the action sequence and you get reintroduced for the first time and never seen ever is the four lightsaber wielding grievous yeah oh my god i love this scene i love this fight scene mm-hmm. i will say this scene does have the one moment of revenge of the sith where i'm like well that's just weird and awkward okay. and it's when um so general grievous says something like oh i'm gonna kill you or whatever and it hyper zooms in into Obi-Wan's eyes and he goes, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> Very weird choice. It's directed completely different than anything else in the movie. Yeah, because like I get the grievous part because it's he's talking a lot more. Like he's saying more things. So, of course, it's going to make sense to zoom in. But yeah, Obi-Wan just says, I don't think so. It's like, right. There. I totally so saw that. I, I, I agree with you, man. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know what the purpose is that other than like. They were playing mind games, and Obi-Wan's like, I got the Force, and you don't, bozo. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's like George Lucas was like, I'm going to throw in one quick Sergio Leone homage. Yeah, but just know... <laughs> one. No, no others. <laughs> That's true. I love the contrast of, like, you get these action pack scenes when the clones drop off and start, you know, you know, start the, the battle, and then it quickly cuts to, you know, Anakin being the Jedi Aaron boy. Um, and oh, Mace Wind is saying, tell the Palp- tell Palpatine that, you know, they've made contact with Grievous and stuff like that, you know, and then it cuts back to the action again. Um, it's a little awkward in terms of like, you know, tone, but at the same time, it makes sense. Like while these things are going on, there's a, there's an internal war and battle going on with Palpatine and Anakin. So I, I get that contrast, but in terms of like, in my senses, it's kind of like, eh, I'd rather go back to seeing the badass clones battling these battle droids like i love the inclusion of that scene where that clone is running up and just shooting the spider droid and he jumps on top of it and shoots it down it's like why the fuck are stormtroopers missing everything in the fucking original trilogy these clones are badass (laughs) because stormtroopers are just recruits and then clone troopers are specifically created for battle yeah i and i totally agree i agree with the people with with people like star wars fans today's like love of like the clone troopers the commander cody the captain rex and all these the 501st legion um i mean this movie kind of puts the stamp on like that badass part of like the clones because they are badass and they're they look cool they're that in between of the clones from the last movie and what stormtroopers look like and they're battle hardened um man um and, and you see so much of um uh tessua morrison is that how you say his name right tomorrow morrison tomorrow morrison i mean he he better be living in a fancy mansion because you see his beautiful face throughout this movie and I'm here for it. Dude, he's cruising on that Star Wars money and that yeah. Aquaman money. He's doing yeah. good. Yeah, God, I love that stuff. Um and of and what do you think about the demise of General Grievous? Um when they're chasing each other, that little rolling droid robot thing that he's riding on, I had a toy of that. That thing was badass. Oh yeah, either me or my brother did. I don't yeah. remember which of us, but one of us had it. We also had the lizard that Ooh. Obi-Wan rides on. We yeah, had both. Yeah. yeah. I love the death of General Grievous. I love that Obi-Wan shoots him with a blaster <laughs> right into his few organic parts. Right. And he bursts into flames and flame is bursting out of his eyes. 
<sighs> that's so good. But then it has such a perfect payoff when Ewan McGregor says, so uncivilized. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and it, it feels like an actual battle. Like, I mean, it's like Obi-Wan's way over his head, you know? Um, I, and I think I, I keep thinking the more I rewatch this movie that Obi-Wan is like, holy shit, I just ended the war with a cold, you know, line just now, like so uncivilized. Now the war's fucking over. You know what I mean? They just got to win this battle. Um, but that just shows you what a great, what kind of character he is. Cause he's not like, yes, I won. I won the war. He's just like, ah, I don't like this blaster. I'm so uncivilized. <laughs> like that's all he's worried about. He's just like, ah, this is not my thing. Which is funny in Kenobi. Cause then he has a blaster. He does, but he's very disconnected from the Force and the Jedi mm-hmm. ways by then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but then you get the Order 66 and the fight. Let's talk about the fight with Windu and Palpatine and Anakin's reveal. Talk about anticlimactic, where he's like, excuse me. Like, it's weird. It's like a, a sexual tension with Palpatine and Anakin saying, like, use my knowledge. I beg of you, please. And, like, you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's awkward sexual tension between the two. But then when Anakin goes, I'm going to just go report you. But he's also nodding when Palpatine says, you're very wise, Anakin, and brave. And oh, Anakin's like, yeah, I know, I am. And if you look at that scene, he is nodding and smiling. And then he goes and tells Mace Windu. And Mace Windu's like, I'm sorry, did you just say a mother f- motherfucking – you know, Sith Lord. <laughs> it's like, I love his delivery of that. A Sith Lord. Like, yeah, you found that really. <laughs> oh, is that how you take it? I think it's like more like, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that again? <laughs> it, it could be either one, but I think it was a little, I just see Mace Windu just seems constantly demeaning to Anakin personally. Yeah. So he's just like, really? You found this? I don't mm. know. You've been saying that for a long time. And I always kind of thought, eh, I don't know. Maybe it's just a delivery. But also it's like, I see the contrast of Windu's reactions to Anakin in Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith. It's a stark contrast. It's almost like, you know. It felt like Mace Windu was a little bit more hopeful of Anakin in Attack of the Clones. And in this movie, it does feel more like Mace Windu is not believing of Anakin being the prophecy. Even when he says, so the prophecy says, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah, for sure. And and Mace Windu's not wrong. His mistrust of Anakin was well placed. Right, right. He's just, you know, kind of a prick. (laughs) He just like... It, it, it does feel a little bit personal. Like he doesn't really act like that towards anyone else. Like, I just feel like he doesn't like this guy. I wonder and if it's jealousy. I don't think so because Mace Windu seems very confident to me. And he's, I think he is known as one of the most powerful Jedi because in order for Anakin to talk about how great Obi-Wan is in Attack of the Clones, he says, Oh, he's as powerful as master Windu. I don't think it's that frankly, I think Mace Windu might be just like the internet in that he thinks Anakin's kind of annoying and, uh, and a lot of people online agree with him. It's very delicate for a boy like that. I don't think the boy can take it. I don't trust him. Uh, I love that dialogue because not only is it two younger Jedi, who's going to be the future leaders of the Jedi during that scene with Obi-Wan and Mace Windu, but you see subtly Yoda scratch his head in contemplation and stress and thinking, which is like this super powerful Jedi with the force and mental, you know, strength. 
And he is stressed the fuck out about the Jedi Council and of Anakin. And he's these two prodigies who are going to replace him when he's old and gone. And they're not even sure what the fuck's going on. I love that little inclusion that Lucas puts in there to show that this ultra power. This movie is just the follies of, of Yoda and his incompetence to lead. And like how so wise and strong and powerful that he is. That he is completely overwhelmed and overtaken and it's just a smart smart you know obstacle for him that he never really under overcomes until episode five yeah one of the most damning things about yoda and and it had to be this way in order to lead into the original trilogy mm -hmm. but when yoda gets beaten in a lightsaber fight by palpatine and he's just like all right, now I have to go into exile. And it's like, dude, you're not going to help. Like, you're not going to help like reverse this. Like this right. guy just came into all this power. Like you got to do something to get him out of power. But he's just like, ah, we failed. That sucks. See, I'm going to leave now. Mm -hmm. So two things with that for me, I always took it. Well, now I've always taken that as, um, he uses the force to help him become, you know, very mobile and nibble. And I'm sure that takes a lot of energy to manipulate the force to help you jump around when you can't even use your legs without a cane. And it's for a very long period of time that he's doing that. And he also uses the force during the battle at the same time. So I'm thinking he's very exhausted. And third, I'm thinking two different things for him. I stay and continue trying to fight Palpatine and I get overwhelmed and can't beat him because I'm tired or and I'll die for nothing. Or three, and then he'll he'll be able to rule the galaxy and such and whatever. Or the third option is I reserve my energy and I go into exile and wait for the next great hope that I could hopefully be alive for to help in defeating this foe at some point. You're right. You're right. I, I might be too harsh on him. Um, and, and I forget that he is very, very old. So he's probably like, I don't have it in me for another fight. I lost this fight. That's it. Like I'm done. Mm -hmm. I guess that's it. But to be fair, I was also in the same arena where it's like, bro, just fucking at least try, you know, but in, you yeah. know, the, I watch this now and I'm thinking, and in terms, you know, I've never been more someone to like, think about the force and what it does for, to me. It's the force is the force push and the force lightning and that thing. But the more I think about Yoda and I think about the manipulation of the force and like, these visions that some people some jedi have and some don't you know it has to because like when anakin has these visions he wakes up sweaty he is like gone through it he's stressed out so it's like it has to probably take a lot of physical and mental energy to like engage with the force in these kind of manners and i can only imagine what that's like for yoda because like i remember attack of the clones when he you know uses all that force to jump around and then he saves them when dooku drops the pillar he's exhausted after moving that when he moves the x-wing in episode five he's exhausted and it makes sense like of course like this ultra powerful jedi who's you know strong with the force i mean he's gonna be exhausted i'm sure of it yeah, you know, it's probably like if Joe Biden loses re-election, he's going to be like, I'm 83. I'm I'm tapping out. I'm I need, not doing anything I else. need to see live footage of Biden at his home just, like, fading. Like, his clothes just, like, falls flat, and he just, like, goes one with the force. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, hey, man, that's great. I'm going with the force now. I'll see ya. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, when Okay, the Battle of Mace Windu in the Jedi versus Sidious is 
awesome. I love the dialogue exchange with them. I know Mace Windu's like no bullshit. It breaks my heart to see Kit Fisto go down like that, though. Yeah. Yeah. Every time when he goes, oh, I'm like, no, Kit Fisto. Like he's one of like the like the minor characters that like has a following, and I'm part of it. It's like, oh no, not Kit Fisto. He gives that beautiful <laughs> smile in Attack of the Clones at mm-hmm. the Battle of Geonosis. Yeah. Without him, he wouldn't. I mean, we don't know where C three PO would have been if he did do the Force push. We don't. So we wouldn't true. know. Mm-hmm. You know what made me sadder is seeing Kaiman Mundi get shot in the snow. <sighs> don't even talk. Don't even talk about it. On, <laughs> Mag- on the planet Megito as well. Oh my gosh, that's how big of nerds we are. Um, my God, the Maze Windu and Darth Sidious fight. Talk about a prelude to what we'll get on Mustafar. Man, that is such a cool fight. And we see Mace Windu put push to the limit. But I swear to God, every time I see Anakin get on that fucking pilot uh, on, the, on the ship and then fly over there. Oh, again, we talk about remorse. God, I wonder what this whole universe would have been like if he didn't just do that. If he just listened to Windu. When Windu said, if you've done, if what you said is true, you've gained my trust. Which at the same time kind of fucking sucks because it's like, if you're lying, I'm going to be fucking pissed off. But two, you finally gain my trust after revealing like who we've been looking for for the entire time that we've not been knowledgeable enough to uncover, basically. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of it's kind of like a it's like a thankless apology. It feels like, sure, sure. Yeah. But then after that, uh, Anakin Skywalker is like, "All right, I'm gonna go kill a bunch of children." Just <laughs> zero to a hundred. Just immediately like, "Let's yeah. go kill some kids." I will say a little bit of it is cringy after Mace Windu is killed by Obi or by Anakin, and they have the conversation, and he says, "You shall be henceforth Darth Vader." It's a little cringy, their dialogue, where Anakin's just like, I pledge my life to you and your teachings and stuff like that. That's just a little cringy, but I think the emotional damage of him saying, what have I done, is just a full circle remorse. And he's realized, I can't keep saying, what have I done? I can't keep having these regrets after I've done things. I just have to live with them now, and I am now accepting them. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, if somebody says... Anakin's turn, especially in that scene, is a little rushed. I can't argue. I'm not going to argue with that. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I don't care. Yeah, same, you know, yeah, yeah. this is one of those movies where, like, you can criticize it. I may agree with you. I don't care. I really just enjoy everything about it. There's really nothing in the movie that I dislike, except for maybe the hard zoom in on Obi Wan's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> on a technical. My one beef. <laughs> Um, when Anakin, like, again, you know, straight up was like, I'm confessing that this is a Sith Lord and I'm going to, you know, do the right thing and such like that. And then he goes like, you know what, this guy, this guy who's been with me my whole life tells me to go to a temple and kill the people who I've trained with my contemporaries and then kill kids. I'm cool with it. I'm good. <laughs> um, the, I mean, I'm like, okay, like do your thing, you know, do your thing, boo. You know, like I get you. Um, when he, when he marches with that fucking clone army, God, it's like I never felt like more supportive of the dark side at any moment, you know, because it felt like it was bringing down the establishment. And it's like I wish it was under better circumstances, though, too. And when Palpatine gives the execute order 66 on Obi-Wan and his interaction with the clones at the time, I was like, you know what? I would shoot down Obi-Wan during the time. He's like, come on, catch up. We have a battle still to win here. And then he just flies. Like, you know what? Yeah, you know, that's a little cocky of you, Obi-Wan. You know, like give us a fucking break for a second. Um <laughs> 
uh, it's just like a recipe of a lot of emotions. I actually tear up every time uh, Order 66 happens and you see the bringing down of Jedi and like the storming of the temple. It's just... <sighs> Lucas just really knew with this movie how to be very delicate with the emotion, but also like rip your heart out at the right moments too. Yeah, the emotion is there. I also <laughs> love seeing... Uh him storming the Jedi temple with all the clones behind him Mm -hmm. because you get to see Darth Vader before he's in the suit. Cause he's not Anakin anymore at this point. He is Darth Vader. He just hasn't gotten in the suit quite yet. And what a privilege it is to see that. I think it's so freaking cool. Literally peak um, Vader. Yes. Such good Vader. So, and I love that his eyes have turned like orange yellow by this point. (sighs) The Sith looks amazing. And little did we know that Reva was among those younglings and she would later uh, become an inquisitor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Reva was there. Cal Kestis wasn't there, but he was alive during the order of 66 with Jedi Paul and Grogu was there too. That's true. Oh my God. You're right. Yeah. A lot of survivors. We come to find out. (laughs) And, um, uh, Kevin Prince Jr., um freddie prince jr freddie prince jr and rebels he's there right kaden i think is his name yes that's it kaden yeah kaden yeah he's alive during that time too yeah Um, he was a jedi apprentice when he escaped order 66 mm -hmm. and i think that's the most interesting part of star wars in this prequel trilogy is the order 66 the, the the jedi purge i guess is what it's called after um you get a lot of moving parts during all of this the logistics of killing every jedi because i love when you know Palpatine's like, once the Jedi discover what's transpired here, they'll come over, come here to kill us. So we have to move swiftly and attack the temple and catch them off guard. Is very calculated, but also it. I love how it shows that the Sith aren't invulnerable. Like it's just two of them against the world still, and it's like even though they killed Mace Windu, like nothing's promised right now. They could easily just go into trial and die. Um, it shows like how cutthroat they have to be. Um, I just, I don't know, it's just that little sign of vulnerability from Sidious. Sidious is this ultra big baddie, and I guess that's attributed to Rise of the Skywalker, which I will still say, him attached to, attached to that machine in, atta- in Revi- Rise, of the Sky- Rise of the Skywalker is amazing. I think it's ultra, you know, horror-like. I love that image. Um, but I love seeing the vulnerability, and, like, we think about the power of Darth Sidious when he was younger, and he's really just not. He's, like, still having to maneuver and... Um, manipulation and being you know kind of giving low blows to like survive I kind of like that yeah I do too I like I don't know like I like seeing him launch into action with a lightsaber yeah but also Ian McDermott does not look cool with a lightsaber you know <laughs> like he looks like this short little old man like ah, I'm gonna wave this thing around and uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny but I also definitely enjoy it it's fun it's like camp you know it's yeah ian mcdermott is like great camp in this movie he's having fun he really is it's like you know you you know it's like having the blue balls for two movies and you finally get to be unhinged for the one you know i mean how often have you like struggled to open a jar of pickles and then you do (laughs) and then you're like the attempt on my life has left me scarred and deformed. Oh my god, that scene is incredibly dark for a lot of reasons, but I still really like that scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like how he explains his deformity in front of everyone too, and like what they're gonna do against the Jedi. And everyone's like, you know what? I just heard this thing, and yeah, the Jedi. Let's kill him. Like, well, let's just agree for you know genocide. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, he's just like, you know what? 
let's have a new galactic empire and I'll be the emperor. And everyone's like, cool. All right, let's do this thing. Yeah, like they're totally okay with it. Which brings me to... And then, um, oh, and then until the end of time, uh, if your political party uses a political election, you just post the Padme, this is how democracy dies with thunderous <laughs> applause. People do that every time if their party loses. Yeah, yes, yes. Also, like I said to it earlier, unsung hero of this movie, Senator Bail Organa, when he's the, to me, it's one of the best things of this movie. This guy, this, this character, who is a politician first, who tiptoes between the Senate and the politics with also the Jedi and gaining it a respect and appreciation for the Jedi um, throughout two and three. And when he sees that the Jedi Temple's on fire, no one goes to inspect except him and he's not like hey what's up what's going on is everything okay he's like demanding what is going on here and he's concerned i really like that from bail organa and it shows the type of character and the type of values and we of course with kenobi as well it shows like what kind of character and leader leia is going to be i don't know if you you know senator bail organa doesn't have to be the kind of character he is in these prequel movies but like his character does and it just kind of like saves the universe and the future and then also is just like tells you the type of guy he is i don't know i've always loved senator bail organa with these prequel movies and the actor obviously too we found out he was in running scared i hated seeing him as a villain dude um, yes i was gonna shout out running scared yeah I, I hate seeing him as a villain i love seeing him as this cool guy um and when he yells no when he sees a youngling die and his hesitant of like the clone wars when they say it's a rebellion you'd think oh my god thank you for being here to take care of it he's like you know what no like what's going on <sighs> And yeah. the fact that he immediately goes, I got to go to Yoda first, and then I got to go to Kenobi. This guy knew, like, the right people to go to. And it's like, none of those fucking senators probably knew what the fuck was going on, nor did they probably care. I Shout out Jimmy Smith. He's such a great supporting actor. I'm with you. I love Bail Organa. And I love Jimmy Smith's uh, commitment to Star Wars and that he's in these three prequel movies. He comes back in a Rogue One. He comes mm -hmm. back in Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Mm -hmm. Um, he hasn't come back in Andor yet. I would not be surprised if we see him in season two. Mm. Um, maybe they couldn't get him to do both shows because those shows came out very close together. Uh, but yeah, he's he's just always willing to come back as this character in any kind of anywhere in any kind of show or whatever that the timeline matches up. And um, that's always fun. It's nice to see just the same actors pop up in different kind of Star Wars stuff. So when he goes to find Obi-Wan and we think Obi-Wan died but he survives and he treks back and he gets the transmission from organa i don't know but i get like that butthole clinching moment i was like yes like okay things are getting you know like things are in motion like the good guys like thank god all the stress is gone we know who the baddies are they're gonna go and um you know survive together and figure out what's going on i love like yoda and obi-wan are trying to figure out the mystery with the jedi and the beacon and they decide to you know go to the temple the temple stuff is great um not only because the action scene of yoda and obi-wan fighting the clones is awesome but i i cannot ever help but think <laughs> about lego star wars when you play that level and you see the clone troopers and they're wearing the jedi hoods and you they turn around and start <laughs> shooting you i can never stop thinking like they pull up to the jedi temple and that's what's going on <laughs> 
I, I can Lego never Star Wars get... games are so funny because they take such intense moments from the movies and turn them into Lego comedy. <laughs> and nobody is mad about that. Everybody no. loves it. Everyone is happy with it. That's that's kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, I can never like that. Those two things are always synonymous with me when I watch this movie. Um, but then when Obi-Wan has like, I don't know, does Yoda know that Darth Vader is Anakin? He's the one behind everything or he has an idea of who it is, but he didn't want to tell Obi-Wan because he told Obi-Wan not to look at the security cameras. Yeah, I think that that's definitely what it was, is he okay. didn't want to break Obi-Wan's heart. And, and again, Ewan McGregor's performance, so good when he sees that security camera. It's so heartbreaking. And and when he later tells Padme about that, that he saw that on the camera, that's, again, one of my favorite Obi-Wan moments. Yeah. Because I love when he says, at the end of that scene, after they've talked about Anakin's fall, he just says, Anakin's the father, isn't he? And Padme doesn't say anything. And he just says, I'm so sorry. And I love that moment because it just shows what a good person and what an empathetic person Obi-Wan is, that he doesn't blame anybody, doesn't condemn Padme, because obviously Padme made a mistake. He doesn't need to tell her that. He doesn't lecture her. He just says, I'm so sorry that things turned out like this. And um, I love it. He's such a great character. That is a good moment. Yeah, that's a good moment. Uh, to me, that also tells the audience that maybe if they went to Obi-Wan, like Padme had kind of always thought, had always kind of mentioned to Anakin and always was like jealous of the fact that she bring it up that Obi-Wan probably would have been willing to help them in some sort yeah. of way. Oh, I absolutely think so. Yeah. It's like, you know, go, you know, always being afraid to ask for help from someone until it's too late. And then they say, why didn't you ever ask me to help you? I totally would have, you know, and you learn, Oh, well, things would have been easier then. And yeah, that's kind of a heartbreaking moment there too, because like this is someone she's known longer than Anakin. Yeah, and and I think I think the pro one of the problems with Anakin and Obi Wan's relationship is Obi Wan just considers Anakin a friend and would do anything for him, mm -hmm. but I think Anakin still kind of looks at Obi Wan as a bit of a competitor, and he wants to be friends with Obi Wan. He does love Obi Wan, but he always wants to be better than Obi Wan. So I don't think he would be as willing to go to Obi-Wan for help because he wouldn't want to admit that he needs help to Obi-Wan specifically. Yeah, like kind of the pride of it. Like, why did I show you I can make it without you? Like Exactly, yeah. yeah I, I get that. Yeah, because that's, I mean, it, you know, people at that, you know, guys at that age too, they want to act like they have everything. Like, everything's good. They have it under control. And yeah, like I, and exactly. maybe it's Lucas trying to say that the toxic masculinity trait that men have to pretend like everything's control. They don't need help from people. And it's like, it's totally okay. There's no sign of weakness in that. I think that's in there. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Everything that moves on to Mustafar is badass. I think Mustafar is one of the coolest planets in Star Wars. Um, and it's fitting for this fight. And it's fitting for Vader because, it, you know, you go to Kenobi, you go to... Um, Oh, I'm trying to think what else is there with Mustafar. I think it's just in Kenobi. Um, oh, no, I love no. how Palpatine says Mustafar. Mustafar. Yes. Oh, in Rogue One as well. Is that's Those are the things you see Vader in. And they're very close to after episode three. And it's like he seems like he's isolated or, you know, exiled to Mustafar for a while, which is kind of sad and gross because, like, that's where his tragedy happened. Um, but, you know, we don't know that, obviously, when we're watching this movie for the first time. And when he goes to kill the Separatist leaders, 
it's weird. Like the music is very like you know epic and stuff, and it's like I think it's because we see Vader just unhinged at that moment. He's just maul. He's just mauling people, and it's like literally Anakin is gone now. Like there's no turning back at this point. And Obi Wan, we know where Padme is going to go see him after he's doing these horrific events, and Obi Wan's just kind of waiting for it. Um, I don't know. Like there's something about that scene where Anakin does like the whole, you know you know reverts the blaster shot at him and he does that little turnaround you see his eye is red as can be and it's It's like like the more he kills the more he transcends oh my dude david (laughs) gordon green has never been clever in his life (laughs) i'm convinced oh my god and he has a new show coming out too on netflix apparently he got greenlit for a show is it horror or is it comedy it's horror of course really what is it I, I don't know. I just saw it on Facebook today. Like I think I, I, I heard his Exorcist movies coming out next year. I'm not, not sure. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a movie. It's a show he's doing now. He's writing oh, for a show. Okay. I have to look it up and then add it in here after. Okay. <laughs> um. But yeah, Mustafar I think is really badass. Um. And it's kind of crazy how Anakin after he kills the Separatists, these you know uh, the Viceroy Gunry quote, the city has promised us peace and all these other things, and. I'm sure there's some satisfaction for um, Anakin or Vader at this point to kill the Separatists, you know, because it's like, you know, you've been a pain in my ass since I was a kid. <laughs> but second, he's kind of just like brooding there the whole time. There's no plan. There's no communication. So he's just kind of like brooding and thinking about what he's been doing and accepting it. To me, that's like, instead of him asking, what have I done? Is this the right idea? He's just kind of like contemplating. He's like, I've done this. This is fine now. This is my way of life. Okay. I'm upset and I'm angry, but like, you know, whatever. I've done this. Yeah, yeah, his 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 descent into darkness is quick, but it is very very dramatic and uh and the movie really sells it and it really sells the emotion of how terrible this is and how important it is. So mm-hmm. and and that's really where it counts, I think. What are your thoughts on Padme when she comes and pulls up on Anakin and he kind of drops the red eye look for a second and he, you know, braces her and everything like that? Um, I used to think that scene was really corny, but I was also like 11 or 12. And then I watched it again in my teens and whatever, you know? So like, I didn't know what a woman was at that point and having an emotional attachment to her. Um, (laughs) but like now watching it, God, it is heartbreaking. Like, and I don't mean to be like oversense, you know, you know, overly like, you know, trying to be like, oh, it's like overemphasizing and over-exaggerating, but it really is a heartbreaking conversation and confrontation, really, uh, between a husband and a wife about things that have been going on. It is. And and let's never forget that this is one of the top meme movies ever made. Mm. And also the meme of you're going down a path I can't follow <laughs> is iconic on the Internet. It's probably used more than almost any gift of all time. Um, but the most interesting part of that scene, I think, is that it reveals that Anakin is not actually loyal to the Emperor. Um, and he says that, like, I can I, I know he's bad news, but I can overthrow him and then I can rule the galaxy. I can be that guy that he talked about in Attack of the Clones who can make people do the right thing. Mm. Um, and that's also interesting because he doesn't let go of that idea. And later in Empire Strikes Back, he says the exact same thing to his son. Yeah. Good and that he, he really doesn't. He doesn't actually like Palpatine. I think he did at a certain point a long time ago, but once he sees what Palpatine really is, he doesn't like him. He sees him as a means to an end, but then he just kind of gets stuck working this job 
working for this bad boss that he doesn't actually like. Yeah, and it feels like he's only, I he, he you know he is a he says he's a slow learner at the end at the beginning of this movie, but I think he's really a quick learner in terms of you know because Anakin's always been a quick learner. He he piloted himself. He's a good you know he, he fixes things very well. You know he's very quick to learn things. It's funny that he says I am a slow learner. Um, where he realizes that he's more powerful than Palpatine. And this whole prequel trilogy is showing that Palpatine fears Anakin more than anything else. And the only way to defeat an enemy is to make him an ally. Um, and he manipulates Anakin and having, you know, instead of killing me and defeating me, join me and I can give you this power, this thing that's going to help you. And once Anakin realizes, well, I only needed to learn this power. And after I gain it, this I know that the Sith are a, a you know a means of two people. I can just kill him and I can stop the Sith cycle, you know, because I'm the Sith Lord. And you know he's like, and I also have this great power. Um, and you know, and and that's what makes it interesting between the the kind of symbiotic relationship that Sidious and Vader have, where it's like, you know. It seems like Palpatine's always been like, oh my god, Anakin is the perfect apprentice. He's so powerful. He's loyal and all these other things. But for a very long time, he feared him. And I think Darth Vader always knew that he could defeat Palpatine. But he just emotionally was battered down to be able to do that. Yeah. It's that that classic lie that we often tell ourselves of, if I go down this bad path that other people have gone down and ruined themselves over... I won't become like them because I can control it and I can handle it. But usually we can't. And usually we should learn from other people's mistakes. Um, But Anakin's ego is both pretty big in the first place, but also really fed by Palpatine. And that Mm -hmm. is part of his downfall for sure. Good point. Good point. When he chokes Padme and he see, I wonder if he would have, it would have escalated like that if Obi-Wan wasn't there standing in front of him because he constantly, whenever she talks about Obi-Wan, he goes like, because of Obi-Wan, it feels like it comes from a place of almost jealousy more than betrayal. If that makes sense. Like, Oh, you're talking to Obi-Wan like, Oh, like, you know, he, you think he's going to help with this thing that he has no idea about. And you're not even talking to me about it until after the fact, what's going on with that. And it goes back to the, we can't even be trustful with each other and our thoughts and what we're thinking about right now and our political ideals. It sounds like Obi-Wan's so great. I know Obi-Wan's great. Of course you'd think he's great. Um, It kind of feels like that in some ways um, when he says that. I agree. And it goes along with what we've been talking about, that he he sees Obi-Wan as a rival. um, And Obi-Wan doesn't see himself like that. He just sees him as a friend. And it's sad that Anakin thinks that. And after all that time, he just can't get over that. Um, and when he sees Obi-Wan and then he chokes Padme, I feel like he want, he's he's physically but thinking about doing that to Obi-Wan. But it's because he can do it to Padme, which is sad, um, is the reason he does it. I don't think he wants to choke Padme. I think in that moment, in that fit of range, he's like, I'm so mad at Obi-Wan and everyone else that I'm going to take it out on this weaker person. Yeah, and I I do think that often the reason that men physically lash out at their spouses or children or both is out of insecurity. It's Mm -hmm. usually like deadbeat losers that do that. And it's because like they're so insecure about insecure about themselves and they hate themselves. And I think in this moment, Anakin hates himself. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of self-loathing that he's 
and he looks like he's crying. Like he's close to tears. Yeah. 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 So, so they see like any kind of acknowledging of all of their faults as this huge personal attack and they can't control themselves and they lash out physically. And I think that's what's happening in this moment. Yeah. Uh, it's just like Obi-Wan just coming down and saying like, let her go and stuff like that. And he just immediately after he puts her down, you turned her against me again, that remorse. I can't accept the fact that I did this thing and it has to be someone else's fault or I'm going to think about this. You are the reason I can't accept this. I'm, you know, I'm naive, you know, I don't, you know, you did this thing. I, I hate who I am now, and I'm going to put it on you for doing it, even though not that long ago, the last time I saw you is I'm thanking you for all these things, you know? Um, God, the music. I mean, it's very much reminiscent so my, of... my reli- Oh, go ahead. I think I think there was a lag or something. It, oh. it just caught up. Okay, okay. Um, so my, my religious parents' main beef with this movie is in this scene, and it's where Anakin says, if you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Because that's apparently a, a Jesus quote from the Bible. Oh. <laughs> so my parents saw that as some kind of personal attack on all of Christianity. <laughs> Isn't he space Jesus? They'll still talk about it if this movie is brought up. It's, oh my God. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just a badass line that a cool motherfucker says before he, you know, fights somebody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, that just whole a dialogue exchange between the two. Someone who's evil but not aware of, like, you know, their naivety versus someone from a place of good who's criticizing them. That exchange there is just, it's just very biting and scathing words that they're using towards each other. All that's the truth though. That I think that's what stings the most is everything they're saying to each other is truthful. Like Anakin is like this, you know, semi emperor. He's brought peace to the galaxy. He's, you know, these things he's saying are truth. I mean, from a point of view, like you said, and then Obi-Wan's telling him, like, this is what you've had to do about it. Um, it feels very much like, uh, like very reminiscent of Duel of the Fates because the, you know, Dave Filoni famously said, I, I don't know what podcast or video where he said the Duel of the Fates um, is between Qui-Gon, the Jedi versus Darth Maul and the Sith. And the Duel of the Fate is for Anakin and Qui-Gon dies and the Sith will take Anakin because of that, which is a perfect, you know, I, I Dave Filoni. I mean, you know, kudos to him for thinking that one out. Um, it feels somewhat similar to this where they're fighting and they're not fighting like to destroy one another, but they're fighting for like, I mean, obvious, like, you know, who's going to succeed? Honestly, oh, it sounds like Obi-Wan's, you know, no matter if even if Obi-Wan wins or loses, like the Sith have the upper hand because of Yoda. But it feels like it's a personal pride at this point. They're finally fighting each other to prove, like, you know, who's the master and who's the apprentice, right? Like a callback to episode four. Yeah, I definitely think it's that way from Anakin's perspective. He does want to finally prove that he is the best, that he's better than Obi-Wan. Um, and for Obi-Wan, I think he... Gosh, there's a there's a great scene before this when he's talking to Yoda and he's like, says something like, I can't kill him. Uh, yeah. Something like that. Um, and I, this whole thing, this whole experience is just so heartbreaking for Obi-Wan and he doesn't want any of this, but he sees, especially when he first gets there. I think when he, maybe when he's on the way, he's not sure what he's going to do. But I think when he gets there, he sees how far gone Anakin is. And then he's like, okay, this is just 
a an extremely powerful force of evil and i have to get rid of this mm. um because he the first thing he sees when he gets there is anakin choking his own wife yeah so that's enough for you to be like all right i'm gonna take this guy out and i think he's just like this is this is duty at this point i've got to take my emotions out of this and just do my duty mm-hmm. and it's something that anakin could never do either you know it was always emotions first um it, I mean, the whole choreographed fight, I mean, I hear people complain online that it was overly choreographed. Like, I know, like, behind the scenes, like, they're actually f- taking take after take, like, getting these movements right. There's not a lot of, like, um, stunt doubles in a lot of these scenes. They're, it's you, McGregor, and Hayden Christensen doing a lot of this, which is cool about the prequels, that they did a lot of their own stunts. Um, but it's in a very aggressive fight. When you think about how they would fight towards the enemy together... It's very patient, you know, it's very, you know, acrobatic and cool. This is such a brutal fight. It's very physical to a point where Anakin's even choking Obi-Wan and trying to, like, push the lightsaber down onto him. It just shows, like, the adopted fighting style that Darth Vader has versus Anakin is so much more brutal and physical and unhinged. Um, and it makes for a very entertaining, you know, fighting sequences. It, it, it's all on the same planet, but man, there's so many set pieces to this fight. That's awesome. And I don't think a lot of movies have duplicated that sense. Yeah. Because like, if you look at the blockbusters of today, like the Marvel movies and such, and again, I love the Marvel movies, but they very rarely have an epic conclusion that it's just two people fighting. Mm-hmm. That almost never happens. They they always have to go with something bigger. There has to be like a beam in the sky or there has to be some kind of flying giant structure that's falling or like there has to be something big. And this movie has the guts for its big epic conclusion to be two people fighting. And that's all it is. But mm-hmm. it feels that epic because of the emotion and because of um just how insanely well done the fight sequence is. Cause I think it is, I don't think it's too choreographed. I think it is beautiful. It's a beautiful sequence of two people at the height of their physical powers, duking it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do wish like more Marvel movies would do that. Like, like just think if the, if the first black Panther, if that third act was just T'Challa and Killmonger yep. fighting just one-on-one, if that yeah. was the climax, I think that that movie would be a, even more beloved than it already is. Yeah, and if it's the same beat by beat, it's two people who should have had share, shared experiences together in camaraderie, but they're both fighting, same like Anakin Obi-Wan, different ideals, different political ideals, different worldviews, and that's the big reason they're fighting as well, on top of the emotional stuff. I, yeah, I totally agree with that. You don't see that anymore. You don't see that kind of fighting. In the fact that they're going, they're choking each other, they're kicking each other, they're going hand with their own opposite lightsabers and tackling each other while they're, you know, while the lava is shooting up. Um, and then you even get the hard dialogue where it's like, I failed you, Anakin, and Obi Wan accepting, like, this is my fault. I've created this in some way. I didn't stop this before it was too late. And the fighting of like, you know, like, you know, you know, Palpatine's evil. And he's like, no, from my point of view, the the Jedi are evil. It's like you see this person who is just put who is who's been pushed so far into the corner. You talk about like the whole bullying or the school shooter mentality. It's like you keep pushing this person down, 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 down and not like ever checking on them and, you know, trying to build them back up and you just keep demonizing them. You, you know, keep assume, assuming things about them. They're going to lash out. And it's like 
when Obi-Wan says, then you are lost, that you think the Jedi are, from your point of view, evil. And it's like, yeah, to some people, like, you get to that, they get to that point of despair that, like, n- the only thing that makes sense is their point of view because everyone's been telling them that they've been bad or they've been distrustworthy and all these other things. So it's like, it's totally believable in hindsight 2022 that the way Anakin is feeling and thinking, especially with the whole fucking dogma up into the, just in this movie alone, not let alone the two movies before it. Yeah. You know, poor bastard, of course. (laughs) Yeah. I I think also Anakin knows that at this point he's too far gone and he better just commit to this worldview because he Uh. just slaughtered a bunch of kids. So I don't think he can like, (laughs) say all right you're you're right the jedi were good guys okay you know what i i just killed a bunch of people that's too bad um i think he's like i better just this is my new life now i better just commit you know yeah there's no ben solo saving from this kind of you know Um, no yeah you you know we're kylo you know i guess that's the only that's a big way kylo is similar to the darth vader in that way you know they commit crimes and they're they're too far gone to try to fix themselves sure yeah totally um, but yeah, when the fight concludes, the whole high ground, um, the memes there, um, to me, it's just really hard to see. And also because the score doesn't give itself any favors after Obi-Wan cuts Anakin again, abating him, you know, to, um, try, you know, his egotisticness to like try to jump further than me to try and kill me and slices him. I think it's heartbreaking to see a guy watch his best friend burn to a crisp. And the music that plays during all that, gosh. And then, like, the heartbreaking I hate you part, ugh. You know, Lucas was like, let me just drop this, like, this heat real quick. Yeah, it's so emotional for me. (laughs) This is usually the point in the movie where I tear up. Yeah. When Obi-Wan says, you were my brother, I loved you. And he screams, I hate you. And Hayden Christensen's performance in that scene is phenomenal. Like, just the hatred and self-loathing and anger that is all within him just every possible negative emotion you can imagine (laughs) is in that one line and it's so vile it's awesome it's so good it's peak it's It's revenge of the peak um (laughs) (laughs) um you know as a kid and growing up always thought the transformation of vader when he you know they find him and they pick him up I always thought it was kind of corny when he screams no, but like that's the uh, most emotion we've ever seen from Vader, though. Except the part where he goes to Obi Wan, I guess, and Kenobi, where he's like, "I am what you made me." You know, I don't know. I can't think of a lot of like strong emotions from Vader other than like violent outbursts and like you know saying it's too late for me, son, and Re- Return of the Jedi. You know. Yeah, he's through the original trilogy. You know, he's very calm and collected. Yeah, uh, he also is in Rogue One for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I and the no thing is another one that if you hate it, I wouldn't argue with you because it's it's camp, and I don't <laughs> yeah. know if this point in the movie is the best place for camp. Yeah, so maybe it's misplaced, but also it doesn't take anything away from my enjoyment. Yeah, but I understand, but I'm not sure what the good alternative is. Like, you can't sell any emotion with his face, obviously. So right. facial expressions are off the table. Mm-hmm. So does he say a line about how sad he is? You can't have him cry, so that's kind of off the table too. 
you can't just have him just like hang his head because I don't think that's enough. So I think the limitations of the mask mean you don't have a lot of options for conveying emotions. So I understand why they went with the no. Yeah, and to me, that the leads to a bigger thing is when he's saying that, well, one, seeing his mask be put on is fucking amazing. It's a great shot. It's a cool moment. Um, but pow- when he's destroying things, when he says no, and he's showing this power that he has, um, that he's fully in the dark side, is you see Palpatine smile and grin while he's doing that, which kind of confirms that, you know, Palpatine won. He got, you know, what he wanted. After three yep. movies, we, we see it. Um, is what it tells me. But in contrast to that, while he's turning into that, you see Padme um, give birth to Luke and Leia. And, um, you know, for, you know, growing up, I was always confused why Padme died. But now it's even sadder as an adult realizing why she died. It's because she literally lost the will to live. It's like, oh, my God. Like, you think, like, you know, like those Tumblr posts, like, um, I believed he lied, you know, kind of things. It's like Padme's literally like, I literally cannot live, my guy. Like, I cannot. I'm the big sad right now. You know, <laughs> maybe I lied when I said I didn't have any other problems with this movie. <laughs> I don't love that. That, um, that I don't know, that they say, like, she's lost a little live or she died of a broken heart or something. I mean, like, you would hope that your two babies are enough for you to want to live on to take care of them. Obviously, she has to die. Because she can't live out, she can't live from live out of this movie because of the original trilogy. Um, but was there a better way to do it? Probably. I don't know what it would be though, without there being like an extra scene where Darth, where Darth Sidious walks in and lightsabers her or something like that. Mm. Um, I or, don't know what the better option would be. Or Tusken Raiders kidnapped her or something like that. Yeah, another another Tuscan kill. <laughs> Goodness, uh, yeah, it is. It it doesn't make much sense, but it is kind of one of those like, damn, okay, <laughs> like, I it hurts like to hear like someone you know die of a broken heart. Like, I mean, when you think about that, that really hurts. But also, it's like it's not logical, especially in this kind of universe. I feel like, um, it also like feels, <laughs> it feels like Luke gets the short end of the stick when you know, Leia gets to go do Alderaan and be a princess. And then Luke has to be a bummy farmer with his grumpy ass uncle on Tatooine. It's true. It's funny. And they make that decision so quickly. Although they, they did need to split them up. So that makes sense. But it is funny that, you know, that Bail Organa is not like, I can have two kids. He's just like, no, 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 no. I just want a girl. (laughs) My wife and I talk, always talk about having a girl, but I think, I think it was intentional. They need to split them up. So that makes sense. But you're absolutely right. It's very funny that Leia is going to grow up very rich and privileged and Luke is going to grow up in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah. And I love the little drop of Qui-Gon where Yoda says, Hey, hey, you got some training, you know, and then it inadvertently feeds right into Kenobi um, at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. And then I love the ending with the sad, sad music of Vader next to Palpatine and a CGI'd Grand Moff Tarkin watching the dis- construction of the Death Star. Not CGI, actually. Oh, just he's an not. actor. Just a guy. Oh, okay. But I love it. It's, it's obviously Grand Moff Tarkin yeah. who's there. They're just observing it. I'm like, ah, yes. Like, this is this is cool. Like, this it is feels sad. It's good cool. when they're on that ship because you look at it and you're like, oh, now it looks like the original trilogy and that's like a little jolt of excitement. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
And it's sad because you see, it's also sad because you see Padme's funeral and um, you see like, you know, Big Boss and you see, you know, um, Jar 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 -Jar. and such. And it's like, she's still pregnant. And I don't know, Charlie said after, you know, giving birth, like the, the, the belly still doesn't go away. Um, that is but, what Steph tells me. Yeah. Okay. But a part of Not me was like, while. did they have to hide that she was pregnant? So like the Sith didn't know that she had kids maybe like they child died at childbirth. She barely looked pregnant in the rest of the movie. That's so a good the fact point that she too. gives birth yeah. to twins. Like if you see a woman who's about to give birth to twins, there's no missing that. Like it's a huge stomach. Wait, did Lucas, Lucas go, I don't, I've never seen pregnant twins before. So I guess this is probably what the belly looks like. I don't know. Like, I don't know if he's just like, we can't have our pretty actress get all fat. I can't do that. I don't know. I don't want to put any kind of misogyny on Lucas or anything, but it does seem a little suspect. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> Unless she's wearing a lot of layers, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I really don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then the movie ends, you know, just like that. It, You know, and then we close the prequel movies, and then we get into Kenobi and Rogue One um star wars rebels and such great like supplemental stuff of star wars um but yeah like after watching this movie i mean man this movie is draining in terms of like the emotions there's just a lot of stuff that happened um but i'm happy to say i mean i totally get the post excitement of revenge of the sith again revenge of the peak you know it's just like i get why people gravitate towards this movie so much I sure do. Uh, when we did our Star Wars rankings last year, I put it at number four, and I stand mm-hmm. by that. It's still my fourth favorite Star Wars movie. I'd have to, you know, save it for Twitter. I'll post it then because I can't think about it right now. But, um, you know, I think it would definitely. I think a, I think a Phantom and Revenge would definitely jump a lot higher after revisiting these prequel movies because nice those two for me are the ones that just wow like i was like oh my gosh like i always in my head knew about these movies but now actually sitting down watching them again just kind of does something a little different different gravy different gravy different gravy (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah man is there any final thoughts or like you know like eyebrow highbrow you know things you want to talk about with revenge of the sith um, let me just take, a, let me do the Mark Warner thing where I just check my notes live on it on, on air and, uh, oh. <laughs> and then he goes, check if I missed anything. And then he goes like, I actually have another hour of stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Mark Warner. You're yeah. the best. Huh. Uh, no, What's his you know what? raking? That's what I want to know. I think maybe I remember that there was a thing going on on Twitter like a year ago where a bunch of us in our little Twitter group were posting our rankings. And, uh, I think he posted his, but I'm not sure. Mark, if you're listening, Post your ranking and tag us on Twitter. Um, I think it's a great movie. I think it's super fun. It, it accomplishes being really fun, popcorn entertainment, yeah, and emotional and tragic. That is a difficult line to ride with one movie, and I think it pulls it off. Yeah, and it also you know adds more mythos and opens the door for a lot of other things to fill in. Like I don't Definitely. know if that was the goal of it, but it really did open the door for like that period of three and four that we really never yeah. thought about before it. And the and the the uh, the final shot is so perfect on the twin sons on Tatooine. It's mm-hmm. just the perfect way to communicate that. Don't worry, folks hope is coming mm, perfect yes yes i like that i do like that a lot um but yeah man this movie's great i i, I think you know there's a few like you said a few things i'm kind of like eh is it the age is it the acting is it the direction i don't know but in terms of story and quality i think it's totally there um 
yeah, 2005. I don't think we. I, I think you said this before, and I think it always rings true with Star Wars, is that Star Wars just needs to age a little bit with people before it's accepted. I think unfortunately, Star Wars is just one of those franchises and just titles where it's like it's gonna either get loved or hated, no in between. And I think once time goes on and it simmers, it becomes accepted when the new thing comes around for it. Yeah, because the thing that makes Star Wars different than pretty much every major franchise is its original material. So when a new movie comes out, it could go anywhere. Whereas Lord of the Rings, based on classic literature. Marvel, based on comic books. Harry Potter, based on books. Mm -hmm. Um, Star Wars, there are books and comics, but that's not what the movies go off of. The movies are fully original. So um, they can go anywhere, do anything. There's no preparing for it by reading anything. And, uh, and that makes it unique and it makes it also the Halloween franchise is like this as well. And a Halloween yeah. franchise has similar kind of problems where people freak out about any kind of story <laughs> development. <laughs> That's a good point. We need a Corey Cunningham in Star Wars. Is, is Kylo the Corey Cunningham? He might be. <laughs> I, I just need a scene with him and Ray behind with his, her arms around him while they're like on a speeder or something. With like an eighty synth playing, <laughs> I like it. I want to. I want to see. I want to see that image. If anyone's good at Photoshop, <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, man. I think with that, we have concluded Star Wars Vember. We have finished the prequel trilogy. Um, man, I want to thank you for embarking on this journey with me again. Uh, Give me an excuse to really nosedive and just like trying big brain Star Wars for people on the internet. It's just like so fun. It's very rewarding. Um, and I think that's just like what's great about movies. I think anybody who watches a movie, I feel like some part of their love for movies has to be a part or attached to Star Wars in some way. And for me, that's always been the case. And to be able to get older and watch these movies and like not ever lose anything but gain more is what's very great about Star Wars. Um, and with the prequel movies too, because I think this is the most personal ones because they're the ones we, I, I mean, I saw first and enjoyed the most growing up because they were the first things I saw from Star Wars. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate you for it, man. And I, I think it was really great. I think uh, people are really going to enjoy it. Oh, absolutely, man. Always happy to talk about Star Wars with you. I feel like we had one of our deepest conversations about this movie and, uh, I love it. I think mm-hmm. it's great. I do too. And again, I, I challenge everyone who maybe, you know, in September, November, you were doing sad in noir November tackle star wars during december i think star wars also fit, it's great because it fits in november and december there's nine fucking but there's more than nine movies uh there's plenty of stuff to fill you for two months worth if anything Please well i watch. challenge you chris during december to watch andor yes and, and it that's, is amazing you know when i was talking to charlie after we watched friend of the sith i was like what's our next thing to tackle and she was like why don't we watch the stuff on Disney Plus for Star Wars? And I'm like, oh, yeah, Andor? And she's like, why not the Clone Wars? And I'm like, yes, let's watch that. Let's go through <laughs> those things. And Tales of the Jedi. Even though I haven't finished Tales of the Jedi, the segment where Dooku looks at the wall with flowers and tells Yaddle, this is the place where Qui-Gon we used to go all the time. Yeah. There's an edit on TikTok that I always watch and it always brings me close to tears because it's such an emotional edit of like sad music and you know just hearing the voice of Dooku talk about Qui-Gon. It's like, God, this is why Star Wars is great. This is why it's awesome. No matter the medium, it's always cool. It's always emotional. So yeah, this is why I love Star Wars, but everyone, this is why you need to check this stuff out. 
It's a really good episode, Tales of the mm. Jedi, when he's mourning Qui-Gon. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I still mourn Qui- Qui-Gon. Hey, man. Me too, man. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask uh, at the end, like, who are your top five characters of the prequels? But, like, I, don't, I can't really think of any if I were to give myself that right now. Unless you do. Well, I, I mean, I know my top two. Uh, okay. okay. I know my top three. Okay. Wait. Okay. Hang on. Let me think. Uh... Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna descend. So okay. number one, I'm gonna go Anakin. Okay. Number two, this is tough. I'm gonna this is really I'm gonna go Obi Wan. Number two. Okay. Number three is Qui Gon. Number four is Palpatine. Number five is Padme. Shut that out. I'm gonna go one Django, purely on looks. I know. <laughs> two. I'm gonna say Obi Wan. Three um anakin for padme and then five i'm gonna go with qui-gon nice yeah Django at number one that's uh that's a take right there <laughs> it's because that damn bounty hunter video game that came out in the early 2000s. oh yeah, yeah i yeah. thought it was the coolest thing and Django. i don't know i i never thought that that boba was cool but then when i saw him attack the clones with his two blasters and the and the jetpack and the cool blue and the fact that he was the face of the clones as well i was like oh that he is, is a simple man just trying to make his way through the galaxy there you go he goes toe-to-toe with obi-wan he too. does we never yeah. seen anything like that i mean boba fett was basically a chum against you know luke in episode six yeah i mean obi-wan beats darth vader twice so there you go. <laughs> not a tough one to go. Not an easy one to go against. There you go. There you go. Insert Tamura Morrison, like on the speeder on Book of Boba Fett there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that gift. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, but yeah. All right, Daniel. Um, to wrap this up, man, like where can people find you? What can we expect from you coming into the next new year or even in December um, for Cobwebs? Uh, I first want to point people to the YouTube channel because that's my that's what I'm most excited about right now. And it's just my name, Daniel Epler. So you just search that. You'll find the channel. Um, let's see. The podcast is Cobwebs, the Cobwebs podcast on all podcast apps. And you can find me on Twitter at Epler Daniel. There you go. And I highly recommend checking out the YouTube channel. It's really great stuff. Really good recommendations. That's what's great about his channel. He brings up a lot of stuff. You remember that you were saying you're going to watch and then he reminds you that it exists so you can watch it. Um, highly recommend that. Um, thanks, Danny, for coming on on here as well. Again, my name is Chris, and if you want to check out our stuff, please check out re- the other episodes we have. We had a great October um, lineup before Star Wars Vember. I highly recommend people check that out. The YouTube channel at Hurtastic Reviews, where we're talking about the top five Sigma films. Um, and then other than that, I mean, we're going to probably stay a little dormant in December. And then, you know, look out for us in the next year as well. Um, if you like this episode and you like this series, um, try to convince Dan and I to come back for the original trilogy at some point. Retweet this, po- uh, this these episodes. Let us. It's know not going to take much convincing. It I'm really, just going to say it really won't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let us know that too. Um, and I guess I guess this is news for Daniel. But if you want to hear me talk more Star Wars, I will be on Good Times Great Movies to talk about Empire Strikes Back as well. So oh, that's so that. exciting! I saw him tease that he was going to talk about Star Wars on there, and I had no idea you're going to be the guest. That's I, awesome. I, yeah, thank. I can't believe I requested work off for it too. Jesus. <laughs> uh, but yeah, go look for that as well. Um, as well, thanks, Doug, for that. Um, but yeah, if you enjoyed this, um, you know, please like, comment, share. Um, appreciate you all for tuning in and for the support on that. And again, if you are not watching the prequel movies of Star Wars, I swear to God, do you really care about cinema? Other than that, 
see you next.